Welcome to episode 82 of the Winner 6 podcast, official podcast at BehindTheBookPass.com. I'm your host, site expert Adam McGee, and joining me this week, we have contributor Jordan Tresky, and making this a very rare occasion where we are all in attendance, we have my fellow site expert Ty Windish. Hello, everyone. Uh, Hello. Hi. It's good to have the band back together again. Yeah. What a special occasion for the band to get back together. <laughs> Michael Carter Williams is no longer a book. Um, there's something very surreal about that. I don't know. I mean, being the books, I feel like we very very regularly get surprised trades but considering just how much time and effort we have all exhausted in talking about michael carter williams over the past 18 months or so it sort of feels weird that he's gone but he is books have traded mcw to the chicago bulls in a straight swap for tony snell what are your thoughts? This was, I, I know we, in terms of this being official, we had it long flagged up. I mean, the reports came out Saturday. It was Monday before it was official. Before that first report from Zach Lowe and Mark Stein on Saturday, this was kind of a bolt out of the blue, right? Yeah, it was. Uh, we had had the Macklemore rumors, and that was the weekend prior. And Kurt Helen had said, you know, the Bucks are really trying to make a trade. There's probably going to be a trade happening this weekend. And that weekend there was no trade, and it sort of just died down, like whatever, you know, one report off or anything like that. I guess he was right just a little little too soon on which weekend it would be. I want to say that, that Kurt Helen one was on Moose, though, even. It was on both, I think. It was, yeah, it related to both. It was about the MCW Macklemore thing, and there was also some talk. They were trying to trade Moose, and they really they want to make a deal, and they'll probably do it this weekend. He didn't say as much, but you assume it was they really wanted a wing player because you look at who they have right now, and it's the now-departed MCW, Rashad Vaughn or Jason Terry were the main wings with Malcolm Brogdon figuring as a point guard. So, uh, I was really surprised, that's for sure, I think. You hear all these reports about like his low-rate trade value. Then you see the Kings, you know, not balking but declining an offer for Ben Nakamura, similarly disappointed player. So you're just thinking like, 
we've heard this for such a long time. Like, it's not going to really happen. And if it does, maybe it comes out of, like, injury necessity from a team. So when it came from the Bulls, uh, it was definitely shocking. I was actually maybe more shocked for them than the Bucks side of things. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Because um, it just it, – I would never have, like – but like I can't even like my brain can't even compute that. Still, it's still it's just weird. I think they literally looked at the books last year and said, "Can we have what they're having?" Yeah. <laughs> that's that's basically what happened. Uh, is I, is I, Dwayne I Wade it's, there? Greg Monroe? I kind of get it in terms of <laughs> for a backup point guard. Maybe. For a backup point guard, the Bulls don't have a ton of options well here's here's why it doesn't work is they the bulls had like maybe the least amount of shooters and oh i know i know the fit, they traded the a guy is, who can shoot for a guy who can't shoot the fit is terrible it could don't not be wrong. worse there but could not be a worse place for him i don't think the books have really given any thought to fit all summer long what they've thought about is we've got this gap on the roster what can we fill it with and they had a gap of point guard really if they wanted something proven i mean they've got Isaiah Kanan and Spencer Dinwiddie. Jerry Grant. Jerry Grant. I mean, all three of them are sort of fine. You could get away with them in your rotation. I don't think you want any of them as your second choice. If you combine them all into one player, that's well, nice a pretty good player. player. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> three players. Can the Bucks combine their center into the next Hakeem? That, that would be nice. That would, no, well, unfortunately, nice. they can't. Damn. I think I think Vlade has like the Ty Windish fantasy football syndrome where like I've gotten burned by making so many horrible trades. Now I will only make a trade if it's clearly a win. Like I think that would have been a fine trade for Sacramento. But like after the the Stoskis salary dump where they paid like 20 first round picks to get rid of like two guys so they could make a splash and bring in Marco Bellinelli. I think now the Kings are just like, no, we're not we're not doing a trade unless we win by a mile. That, that's where they're at right now. I, I'm not sure on that. I don't even know if I don't know if I was the Kings if I would have done that deal. I noticed all the uproar about they're not going to play him. I know, no. but I, there's this uproar about the MCW value, and we'll get to that and talk about it in a little bit more detail probably as we go on. At the same time, I mean, we've said for a long time he has no value, like literally no value, and I think this trade proves that. And you need. Two teams who are just the deal only came to pass because the books sort of hated MCW, the Bulls sort of hated Tony Snell, and they were like, Well, this is in our mutual interest to just swap these guys, forget about everything else, and just see if we can get anything out of it in the next twelve months before our contracts are up. Bucks need yeah, wing depth. I, uh, Bulls need another point guard. I like. I don't. I don't think it was Macklemore. There, there's something there still. The Kings haven't completely given up. They may do that very soon, but they haven't yet. This deal was basically two teams who had given up on the respective players, and it was just like, okay, why not? Let's make a trade. Yeah, and I think that kind of speaks to the larger point of the trade for my in my opinion that i think uh i like the trade and obviously a lot of people do but i think it's also colored by the fact that it's just trading for someone that isn't mcw it's not he's not anything really like mcw he doesn't he has he's not certainly to the 
ceiling that MCW could be, the player that we always like, you know, wrestled with talking about for the longest time since he's been here. But I think a lot of like the, uh, I guess, I mean, not satisfaction, but just like pot, like cautious positivity with the trade is just the fact that you're trading away MCW and that in itself, a lot of people view as a win. So, uh, yeah. I feel like overall the books, I know their their patience had maybe worn thin on MCW, and a part of that might have been that in between saying the right things, you would always revert back to "I believe I'm a starter," and I don't know if in the book size that gave them any greater confidence that it was going to work out. At the same time, I feel like they were very much happy for quite a while to go into the season with MCW as a guy as part of second unit. I don't know if either of you agree on that. What I'm trying to figure out is maybe what changed or maybe a better question first. Do you feel this trade was... Did John Hammond pull the trigger on this trade to get rid of MCW or to bring in Tony Snell? I know Jordan's going to say a bit of both just because that's the tip of the I still don't believe that they... Spoiler alert. ...gave up on MCW. Like, I I think MCW would have been fine. I've said this before a couple of times now, but, like, in an Evan Turner role where he plays off-ball and on-ball, but mostly off-ball, because if you keep the ball in his hands the whole time, it's it doesn't, it doesn't work well. The results aren't good. We've seen that time and time again. That's the problem with... You know, Chicago needed another point guard. Well, they didn't get one. Like, if if they if they run MCW as their primary ball handler in sets with like Jimmy Butler and Dwayne Wade around them, you're just gonna see a lot of frustrated Dwayne Wade and Jimmy Butler when MCW takes the ball up court. Like, he just he, he's not the kind of player right now where I'd want him to start like multiple series in a row with the ball in his hands. Like, I don't trust his decision making that much. That being said. I think he's a good basketball player. I think he can score when he makes smart shots. I think even though he doesn't have a good outside game, his offense is all right, and he can pass it a little bit. He's a plus rebounder. He's a good physical defender. And I think the Bucks would have been well served to sort of run like a Brogdon MCW bench backcourt. The problem is they didn't have – like they don't, they don't have the resources to do that because if both of those guys are on your bench, then you're either starting Terry or Vaughn. And neither of those are good ideas when you're also starting Jabari Parker on the defense in the starting unit and maybe Greg Monroe. It just didn't make sense for the team to do that. So I think really they looked at it and said, we don't want to run this guy with the starters because usage is a little too high for us to stomach that. We want Jabari and Giannis to get the lion's share of the touches. That's every move they made from paying Plumlee to bringing in Toledovich, who's a chucker, but he, you have to pass it to him from the chuck. He won't bring the ball up. And Della Vadova, who obviously isn't taking a lot of shots, that's every move they made is saying, we want to put the ball in these guys' hands more. I think they're saying we, can, we can't really start MCW for that, and we can't afford to bring him off the bench because we don't have anyone else to start. So our team is better if we bring in a player who fits better and we can start with these guys who's not going to take away a lot of touches. And he um. Uh, I, I, I want to say before I give my real answer that I, uh, rest in peace, the, uh, the 
you thought of uh, MCW taking away touches from Giannis and Jabari because that is going to stop happening. They're, they acquired a player that literally won't go, like get in the way. He will be like suited for them. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anyway, um, I don't know. My, I think the thinking, I know, I think it's said in Stein and Lowe's uh, piece about the trade that it was based out of Middleton's injury, and that's certainly true. But I still think this kind of existed long before uh, Milton was hurt. Like obviously these trade rumors were always happening, but the the point guard that they they thought MCW could be was never like actually what he could be. You know what I mean? Like he never played like the guy that they originally thought he could. Maybe he showed glimpses here and there. I, I certainly like maybe at his best times, like uh, the game five against the Bulls in the playoff series, uh, you know, almost two years ago, we saw something there. I know I probably felt something like that, but like, I just think this vision or this idea that Mike Carl Williams could be this, you know, uh, I don't know, this Jason Kidd like player that this, when the trade happened that a lot of people were saying, he never once really shown it consistently. And I think that just, grew over time and obviously Middleton's injury maybe like accelerated everything to find a guy that could, you know, sh- uh, shoot around Giannis Jabari. That's the other thing too. If you have a, you're trying to find shooters for Giannis Jabari, but with Middleton out, you only had so many shooters that could fit around all three of Giannis Jabari and Mike Carter Williams. Then add in all the other, you know, playmaking inconsistencies, defensive inconsistencies, anything that, has been around Mike Carter Williams since he's been in Milwaukee. I just think, I kind of think it was more. I would probably say it was more them giving up on MCW than them acquiring Tony Stone, who I'm sure they believe in all this stuff, especially if they made a move for him. But it was definitely, I would say, they gave up on MCW. That's for sure. Isn't that important to mention, though? I think it gets overlooked really when people talk about MCW and when we have maybe and when books fans have over the last year and a bit is the point guard they originally wanted him to be wasn't the point guard they then wanted him to become anyway so that jason kidd type um that magic johnson threw out there as you reminded me a few days ago jordan (laughs) when the trade happened um that wasn't what they eventually wanted and i it's so easy to talk about the point guard that fits with point yanis Point Giannis wasn't the thing when MCW first arrived, nor was it the thing when Brandon Knight was traded. If anything, it actually became what it is now because of both of those things. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's sort of something that gets overlooked when you get really revisionist about it and you say, well, MCW is the wrong fit for Point Giannis. That was a terrible trade. Or Brandon Knight is a perfect fit for Point Giannis. That was a terrible trade. Or the Lakers pick is an even better fit for Point Giannis. That was a terrible trade. In all of that, you sort of lose this thing of... Point Giannis nearly came out of that mistake. It, it, came it, out of, it came out of things not working and the need to experiment. Remember, it was done before. Kid tried it in his first summer league. It was tried very sparingly, briefly in preseason. 
and maybe a couple of regular season games, and it was an unmitigated failure. It was a disaster. And it only came back because, I mean, MCW wasn't working either. And then even that ties into, say, Greg Monroe and not working. And I personally think they, I, I feel like they chose Snell in this case. I, I think they chose a player who, they finally found a deal for MCW where they have a chance to get a guy who makes sense of the team moving forward. And people might sort of balk at that notion right now. But if you imagine Middleton wasn't injured and all of a sudden they've got Snell to be his backup, there's something really solid about that that the books haven't had. And you start to see this, I don't know, this continuity of ideas and style throughout the whole roster. And there's a lot that can still go right or wrong with this season. And obviously Middleton's injury was possibly one of the biggest things that could have gone wrong to begin with. But the Snell trade is the kind of addition by subtraction that we talked about so often during the summer with what would happen with a Monroe deal. And you nailed this in in a piece you wrote in the deal, Jordan, and that's this was a this was a move for fit. It wasn't about anything else. People are obsessed with oh MCW is a better player than Snell. He is a better player than Snell. But there's a reason why everybody wanted him traded or everybody wanted him on the bench. So keeping him isn't gonna make you a winning team, particularly when He's on an expiring contract. And for me, in that way, the deal just made perfect sense. I feel it's, it was like for like because their value is like for like. They're on the same contract pretty much. It's going to end at the same time, and it wasn't working in either situation. So it's just a gamble on both teams' part, and there isn't really anything lost from it on the other side. People will say... What do you mean there's nothing lost? The Bucks lost Brandon Knight. The Bucks lost the Lakers pick. That's 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 the past now. That's not really anything to do with this trade. We can't call that trade a mistake and then bring that mistake back into this deal and criticize them for it. I mean, we've got to be willing to watch them move on from mistakes. I think that's what this deal is. It's okay, that guy doesn't work. Let's find a guy who does. And fit is definitely something that the book's front office, even maybe up to the ownership, they've learned to understand when they dumped off Zaza, Jared Dudley. They later acknowledged that was a mistake. We didn't understand the importance of chemistry, of leadership, of fit, things like that. And there's a very clear picture that those details are now being taken into consideration. For me now, when I look at the roster, it feels a lot more like the roster of two years ago, where you don't look at it and go, wow, this is a really, really great team. But there are only one or two really weak links. Otherwise, I mean, you can put together a really nice rotation, a rotation that's coherent and will at least compete on a nightly basis. I feel like this team shouldn't get blown out as often as they did last year. So for me, I I do. I, I believe this was a deal to get Tony Snell. They were open to moving MCW. Maybe they were looking for it, but they were fully prepared to keep him. 
but when the option to bring in someone who plugs the Middleton gap could be a really useful bench player in the bigger picture long term, I think they decided, yeah, why not take it? I have one thing uh, to kind of piggyback on, and then, and then a question, so I'll just preface that. Um, I think you're right. I think even though I think it is kind of more giving up on MCW, acquiring Snell, in my mind, it speaks to pretty much every one of their moves except one. Uh, <laughs> that, Bees. That, just, just wait. Um, that that it speaks to fifth. Obviously, you know, from signing uh, Toledovich, Delhi, um, re-signing Miles Plumley, even though it was really high. Like we talked about it at the time, everything that they they done this offseason except for one um, works to fit. Uh, and then the question I have is if this. Presumably, from you know, Jesse, from uh, fans of the Bulls' reactions um, and just kind of their general feeling around Snell, if this was the deal, I this is a serious question. Do you think they would have this deal was on the table when they traded Ennis for Beasley? Uh, maybe not. I don't think Ennis had as much value as MCW does, honestly. Like, I think people look at MCW and they go, he's clearly got flaws, but, you know, he's had moments where he looks special. I mean, his first game was a triple-double against the Heatles. I mean, obviously all his Philly stats are super inflated because he was the only worthwhile player on the team. But still, I mean, like, people look at him, like, league-wide and say there's flaws, you know, there's, there's roughage, but there's, like, a lot of potential there. I just think people who didn't have a vested interest in Tyler Ennis just really didn't didn't care about Tyler Ennis that much. I mean, I think like other front offices were obviously aware of him, but he's never shown like the to, the potential to be an impact player. Like you watch the Golden State game when they became 24 and one last year, MCW had huge moments. He took over the game for brief parts. Like Tyler Ennis just could not do that. And I think the Bulls right now are just in a weird place where like, I, I think they kind of know their roster doesn't look the best. And they're just going, you know, hey, we can flip a guy we don't really care about in Snell for a guy who might be something in MCW who we now have the rights to. We can keep him for the next four years if we want to. Uh, whereas I think, like, trading for Ennis is like a super Mori move. No, no, I don't mean I don't mean trading for Ennis. I'm just saying, like, if that was the case, and if you know, you mean do they hold back on that deal or and just make this deal at the time? Exactly. That's exactly what. Well, no, wait, what is it? So. Do they not trade for Beasley, you mean? Yeah, basically. Yeah. Do they decide to make this deal only? I think they'd rather make both. Hmm. I, I'm, I'm, really, inclined to, I'm inclined to agree with that. I think, would it be nice to have the luxury of another point guard right now? And obviously, Tyler Ennis is the easiest way they could have found one of them. Yes, I think it probably would. At the same time... I mean, Beasley does have his uses as as a backup forward. Snell comes yes. in, he can, he can play the two and the three. Beasley is still the three-four guy. I'm going to turn a blind eye to Beasley's terrible shooting in preseason because I think we all expected that. But the one thing we talked about in between freaking out when they made that trade 
was that he was a good rebounder, and he has shown that so far. It's insane. <laughs> I, I'm not, I don't know how he does it or why he's it so happens. long and athletic. I mean, it's like yeah, but, he, super but it doesn't feel like it does like you're when you're watching him. Like my mind again, this goes back to like what I thought about the Bulls tr- side of the trade. My mind like cannot compute. Like he the other night he played what seven six minutes or something like that. He grabbed seven boards, and I'm yeah. just like trying to search for like when did that happen? You know, kind of thing. It's. It's uncanny. I think his, really rebounding, is. The re, his rebounding is the best part of his game. Absolutely. His his hook shots are easily the worst. I've seen him miss like four of them just horribly. Why do you keep doing that? You're not John Henson. Like I feel like he just watched John Henson make a bunch. And he's like, oh, that looks like a good shot. I bet I can pick that up. No, don't. Just threes only, please, Mike. Threes and dunks. I feel like Khan like has Abdul been Oh god. I feel like Tom has been working on hook shots with Beasley, judging by the evidence of the Pistons game. Tom Thon and Thon inherited JOB's long two game. <sighs> Strong. I, I'm gonna continue to answer Jordan. That that's that's gonna outrage people. <laughs> I mean, come on. You go check the numbers. Johnny O'Brien is long dead. I mean, let's move on. You go ask the wizards about that one. I I still I think they still look to make boat moves. And the reason why is I think when they made that move, they thought, you know what, we could probably get by. Um I mentioned this briefly to you away from the podcast, Jordan. But I fully believe that when the murmurs of Vaughn starting on opening night came out that the books believed that was something they could do. And that they were genuinely impressed by what he'd shown this summer. And, you know, maybe Vaughn looks really good in practice. And if that's the case, they might have gone, you know, he's had a bad rookie season. He had a bad summer league, but he's figured it out. And then preseason rolls around and he's on a court against NBA players again, and he's still terrible. And you can say it's just preseason, but getting like, I don't know, do you want to call it a second or a third run at it where you're seeing him back out in action and maybe he's not bringing what you see in practice or what you saw in workouts that made you draft him in the first place. He's not bringing that to a court. You start to go, well, maybe he just can't do that. Whatever it is, when he crosses over and the lights are on, the cameras are there and it's real, it just doesn't happen. So I sort of feel like if there's any reason why they went, you know what? We need to trade for Tony Snell, which is very much the way I'm seeing the trade is that was the decision rather than just dumping MCW. I think it's Vaughn. And that comes out when kid before the game gets the Pistons, he's asked about it and he's like, yeah, Tony Snell will be our starter. There's, there's not a moment's hesitation. And um, when Jordan and I spoke with this earlier, Jordan said to me, yeah, but what about, what about Brogdon? And, Brockton's another guy. I think he's been redefined by how bad Vaughn is because it's like, you know, he's a point guard. Part of why he's a point guard, and he can do it quite well, and he did a little bit of it in college with Virginia. Part of why he is that, though, might just be if he was a shooting guard, there was a real danger that they were going to have to start him and throw him into the deep end straight away mm-hmm. because he's... I don't want to say he's going to be better than Vaughn. He, yeah, he, already, he, is. 
He is so far ahead of Rashad Vaughn. It's incredible. They got a shooting gotta, is shooting has been terrible, right? Yeah, which is what Vaughn's has consistently been too. The difference is Brogdon is a smart basketball player who knows how to contribute, even when his shot is like so far off that he's two for nine. Vaughn can't do that. They gotta like I'm. I think Vaughn gets one more chance, like the next week. This is not. I don't think this is actually how it's gonna go, and this is how I would like it to go down. But first, they gotta like like John Henson's gotta take him out on a fishing trip. They have to like talk about life, and like if something doesn't click after that, it's over. Like that's really like you gotta take him. You got they have to do a team bonding thing. Like I swear the Bucks do the. Least I don't even think you realize the reference you just made there. I wasn't. Wait, are you talking about the Pacers thing? No, you're making Godfather references. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't even know about it. I just heard it. The, 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 you know, the strings I'm just imagining him no, being taken Pacers, out on the boat. The Pacers went yeah. on a fishing trip, and then they almost beat the Cavs. Like, the Bucks never go on team excursions. Like, they go to the movies sometimes. Like, I read about the Cavaliers doing all the fun stuff. But, the Bucks aren't doing any of this. Because I mean, the Cavaliers are the champions. That's what you get to do fun stuff. You're the yeah. champion. Tim Duncan, no, this, no, this Tim Duncan right now is paintballing. This was during last season. They yeah, but even now it still happens. I mean, that's you're the Cavs. I mean, they, wasn't it? Didn't Jason LeBron Cash. and Kyrie and all they took a preseason game off to go to the Indians game? Am I right on of course that? They did. Yes, yeah, obviously like they did. Why would they play? I know, but normally, like, you keep your head down. You don't just say, yeah, yeah, we're worried. They don't, they we're don't care. And they won Cleveland's first face. title in five decades. It doesn't matter. They could dick around and win ten games, and everyone would love them. Like they, they have they earned that for winning Cleveland a title. What's the saddest city in Europe in sports? I don't even know if there's a parallel. There's gonna be plenty. We don't have other sports, so it's like it's football. So it's like there's loads. Yeah. Imagine if you had four sports in each city and one city never. I can won imagine anything. that. I know. I know somewhere where that's the case. I, I don't think. I don't know what you're talking. Are you talking about Milwaukee? We're getting no. I'm just talking about the, the, the U.S. in general. I know a place where there are four sports cities. Fargo. Um, yeah, Fargo. To go but back to to go, to go back, back to, the to I think I think if Rashad Vaughn was taken out with John Henson on the the fishing trip. <laughs> I think it would be far more Fredo than Pacers. Nah, man. They got to really take him fishing. They got to sneak yeah, a couple really beers on the boat. Fishing. Sneak a couple yeah. beers. Ty's saying this when he's doing the quote things. With yeah. his, with his <laughs> sneak him a couple of beers just so it's not to speak. <laughs> no, um, to, to go back to the Vaughn thing, though, really quick. Um, I know people, like you said earlier, uh, you know, first talking about the trade. I know people kind of were like I didn't I've seen a couple of reactions where I knew FCW's trade value is this low, but I didn't know it was this low, like about the trade or whatever. And I was just thinking like that like I kind of was stunned by that a little bit at first. And then when like you know you're just like thinking about this like instantly my first thought was well this this says something about Rashad Vaughn for whatever it is. And obviously we can <laughs> read the tea leaves, no, so to no, speak. Yeah. Like, I mean, why? It's, it said, like, Rashad Vaughn's been so bad that they're willing to take a straight-up value loss to add someone who can start over him. And I think yeah. I think it's fair to say that they lost some value on this. I think 
MCW should have more value. I don't know if he does. I think he I think, does, though. He, I think he should. He should, he should. Because if, if he had value, he would have been traded like at the trade deadline last year. It's like Monroe. I, I find this hilarious because, look, we don't. We know the hatred that books Twitter has had towards MCW. And then the trade goes down. They're all like, what? They just tried... Just for Tony Snell? How dare they? How dare they get rid yeah, of that? Yeah, that's a low bow. That's a low bow. But uh, just uh, sometimes you just gotta breeze past Jordan. Yeah. Uh, if they trade <laughs> like Monroe, it's gotta be the same story. If they actually got a trade for Monroe, this life I find this hilarious. We've gone on and on about zero trade value, and we'd get mailbag questions to be like, "What's the trade value for MCW?" and be like, "Well, he doesn't have one. Clearly, nobody wants him." Mm-hmm. And once again, nobody really did want him. It was just this weird scenario where. The Bulls had a guy they didn't want, and the Bucks had a guy they didn't want, and the needs sort of worked for each side, and they just I sort of went. Would have gotten for Bogdanovich. That would have been fun. Yeah, but Bogdanovich is an he actual good player, so <laughs> that is never gonna I happen. No, I, I think if he held real value, he would have gotten traded for a pick by now. Honestly. He's he's probably in between in value where he doesn't hold quite that much value, but he well, definitely yeah, holds more MCW than MCW. Is theoretically a young talent. Like I don't no, know, he's I, not. He's not. He's not yes, at all. He he's twenty-four. value was if we're talking about like a glass, like half empty or half full. That he's in like this weird zone where it's you can call the half empty, three, four, half oh. full. Mike Carter Williams was like literally like there's drops in the glass, and you're just like, oh, it was precious water. I mean, I, I think that's not a good analogy. Forget value. I think they traded a better player for a player who is not quite as good, and I it, think they it were, doesn't matter though. It really doesn't. I mean, I'm, I'm. If I could finish the thought, I think they were willing to do that because they kind of needed the player that fits there, no matter what. Yeah, exactly. But that's so I was, I was so, agreeing with you. Yeah, but we're we're so far beyond the notion of better players. I mean. Hmm. It's just, the books have been burned by this. It's like, Greg Monroe is a good player. What do we say all the time? He, you know, he's a really, really good player. He's just, he's not a, not a good fit for the books. And I he don't might know, just, be off the bench. I don't, I don't know about that either. You can't even make a layup. Um, I, I just don't know why it's at that point. And I find it fascinating I think MCW's career effectively ended the day he was named Rookie of the Year. Yeah. There was there was no curse that could have been bestowed on him more than he was in this draft class. It's actually sort of sneaky good, but it was good with sleeper guys who it took them a year, eighteen months to actually come in and hit their stride. He's the one who comes in. He's on the worst team in the league. He makes an impact straight away. Rookie of the Year. That's the only reason why every national person is talking about this. That's the only reason why there are some of, and I'm not exaggerating here, some of the worst NBA takes I've seen in a long, long time being spoken about this trade. I can't wait to see Bulls fans, just general NBA people who are going to be in for such a rude awakening at what they think this deal was. This People saying, like, Gar Foreman got to steal with this one. When you say Gar Foreman got to steal in a trade, that's when you should stop yourself because that never happens. Yeah. People really think the Bulls won? Yeah, everyone thinks the Bulls This is a clear win for yes. the Bucks. I there's think no, the Bulls are There's gonna... been no grades or anything that have put this even remotely 
in the book's favor. Yeah. That's ridiculous. I think the next the next player the who's going to demand a trade on the Bulls is not a player. It's going to be Fred Hoiberg. Because like you brought me in to run my system and then got rid of everyone who could have ran my system. This team's gonna be a dumpster fire. Like they're gonna be the worst team in the central division. I don't think it's gonna- that's what that's what's like, I mean, to take away I believed in MCW faults and all, but that's what's even like more unfortunate about this is that like you know, obviously this is a big year for them. All these things that we talk about for you know, during the summer months, off season months. They still apply, and he's literally on the team that probably is the worst fit that he could have gone to. And he's trying to rehab his value. He's trying to play for a new contract. Like, all these obstacles stand in his way, and he's on a team that may be worse off having him than not or than any other team in the, in the league. You know I, think a, I think a big thing on this as well, though, is he's going to play with a chip on his shoulder. Normally, you'd say that's a good thing. I really don't think it is with the guys who he's sort of surrounded with. I wouldn't be surprised if MCW plays sort of well enough that maybe coming out of the All-Star break, if the books aren't doing that great, which would be exactly what I expect from them, he maybe he can't take the starting job. But I don't think that makes it any better. There's no... Like, if he couldn't couldn't cope with the idea of Yanis really taking his spot or running the point with the books and Yanis was basically his best friend on the team as well from what we know yeah I'm not sure how he's going to get on with Rashawn Rondo well even Wade even Butler I mean those are all very strong personalities that I don't think even Mark Carr Williams Mark Carr Williams like you just said like he's a strong personality as kind of weird as that sounds considering how well I mean, you look Things at it too. South. Like, look at the. Do they not have like one of the most, if not the most, like toxic ownership groups? Yep. Like, ever since they ousted Jordan, effectively, like they've always been super weird about things. They basically pseudo fired Tibbs and kept him out of the NBA for a year. John, didn't John Paxson like, like, kind of actually like get in a fight with Vinny Del Negro? He punched him at least. I know that. <laughs> yeah. Like, they they sent away Rose, which is you know. I'm, not going to stand here and say any team should try to keep or acquire Derrick Rose, but that's the thing. They almost traded away Jimmy Butler. It's like this is like this situation in Chicago is going to be horrible this year. And as a Bucks fan, I can't wait. Like I'm, I'm super geeked about it. Like good for them. So I, I like Dwayne Wade. I like Jimmy Butler. I feel bad for those guys, but I mean, they're, they're going to be really bad. It's going to. I mean, be even if it. Even if it worked out in whatever twisted way in their head they imagine is possible, what is the long term plan there? What are what are you actually it working out? They're still not going to be good enough to. I mean, probably best case scenario is. I don't know, absolute best case scenario where everything clicks. They still don't get it beyond the second round. No, the worst. The worst part oh. is. Like their their best course this summer, and I don't want to go too far into this because this is you know, Bucks podcast. But you don't sign these old guys. You don't sign Rondo. You don't sign Wade. You take Denzel Valentine, who I still really like. You have some nice young guys. You know Denzel Valentine, Bobby Portis, Nikola Mirotic, Doug McBuckets looks like a real player these days. Paul Zipser. Zipser looks good. Oh God. You you go through this year and you totally you do the D Rose trade because why not? Like Lopez is fun. 
But you build up Jimmy's trade value as high as you can get it and then flip him for like a pick or two. And then if you use those picks adequately, all of a sudden you have a, a, a core, a young core, who are all like 20. And they then you can build something. They could have just like, I don't know, not made all the terrible deals though. Kept that Jimmy also would have worked. And they probably would have been in a good position for a top five, if not even better pick. You never know when you're going to win, win the lottery. I mean, they've really made a mess of it. To get back on to Snell, let's let's talk a little bit more about Snell because MCW is gone. I don't know. We're no, imagine we're never going to talk about MCW again. Yeah, right. Yeah. Every time MCW does something, it's, it's, no, no, it's like Brandon Knight. Huh? You know what I mean? No one ever talks with Brandon Knight. They, be that, like to be MCW. fair, they normally don't. Uh, come on. It only comes up when MCW when someone gets traded, or when MCW breeds. I don't think so. I think that's overblown. I haven't talked about him in a while. Jordan and I talked about him when MCW almost got traded last week. But before that, wow, I know. whole week. <laughs> well, that was because MCW almost got traded. Is that your first time on the podcast in like two months? No. We did a week before. before. That too. Yeah. Okay, so you had one week that you didn't Since really you at me. And I, I didn't know. And to be fair, I didn't, I didn't say like, oh, they, this makes that trade bad. I honestly was just like, you know, theoretically, Brandon Knight would be fun on this team. No, look, I'm not. I'm not talking about you. You're. I know. You're a little bit more reasonable than some of the people I'm talking about. Um, but Brandon Knight is a name that still comes up a lot among books fans. There are people who think Brandon Knight is good. Imagine that. Don't do this. We'll, no, we're doing it later, so don't worry. Everyone hang on and we'll talk about Brandon Knight. Some real talk about Brandon Knight. <laughs> real talk. Tony Snell. <laughs> I don't know, Ty. Do you want to lead off on this? You did your deep dive on Tony Snell. Yeah, man, I'll I'll lead off on Tony Snell. I think Tony Snell is a fine player. I think this backcourt is going to be really weird and fun because I think they have, and I haven't done all the research, but I think they have the two starting guards in the NBA with the worst two-point percentages in basketball. I am not sure you could find a group of two guards who shoot worse from inside the arc. They're the anti-bulls. Than Tony Snell and Matthew Dellavedova, which is, and I've been defending Delhi from all sorts of people for all summer because it, it's like the people, the thing people don't get is that like looking good does not matter if you pull off a role successfully. Like Delhi and Snell are not going to look good a lot of the time when they end up driving to the rim. I mean, Snell looks good sometimes. Like I watch Snell's tape. I'm like, what does Tony Snell shoot? Like 50%? And he makes like 38% of his shots, which is ridiculous. But he also makes a lot of his threes, and so does Delhi. And that's all the Bucks need from those players on offense. Like they are literally saying, we're going to clear out the whole paint. We're going to have this one guy on the weak side, one guy on the strong side. Giannis and Jabari, you guys go to work. You're the only person in your way is going to be us center which is a lot more manageable than also having like MCW out there, some guy like that. I mean, if you look at it all of last year, I don't think they never had a backcourt with two shooters unless Bayless and Middleton were playing together, which, you know, it happened, but there was Mayo wasn't shooting well. Vasquez wasn't shooting well. Obviously MCW is not a great shooter. So they'll have more spacing in the backcourt than just about ever before. And it's really just a gamble on, Giannis and Jabari are so damn good. We don't need these guys to do anything almost but shoot threes on offense. That's that's what it is. And the thing about Snell 
and this is why I hate the term Middleton replacement because very few guys are, and I get a replacement isn't as good. Obviously, no one's no one who says he's a Middleton replacement thinks he's about to take Middleton's job next year. But to be a replacement, you have to be a facsimile of what a player brings. The reason it's so hard to replace Chris Middleton is that he does everything well. He can drive. He can score with the ball, without the ball. He can defend at a high level. And those are all things Snell does sort of well. Where the comparison stops is passing. Snell's not a good passer. He was one of the least willing passers on the Bulls last season, whereas Middleton was a great distributor on the Bucks. Snell is a better rebounder, which will help this team. That's something the Bucks struggle with. Snell's got long arms. He can grab boards. That'll help. But uh, luckily, then I don't, I'm interested to see what kind of stuff the Bucks run on offense. I don't think they're gonna run a motion offense at all. Like I don't think they can because the ball will stop at a center. I mean, Monroe's a pretty good passer, but he's not Marcus Gasol and Plumlee and Henson aren't anything special either. The ball will probably stop at Snell a bit of the time. He likes to shoot. His usage percentage is low just because he doesn't see the ball often, but he doesn't pass much either. So I think you're going to see a lot of offense running through Giannis and Jabari and then kicking out to those guys and then seeing what happens from there. It's going to be chaotic, but like I said to Adam the other day, those two guys might be good enough for it to work. Oh, and Snell's well, pretty good on defense too. Well, in my, uh, in my research, <clears throat> and I, I have a cabinet and I just, you know, grab drawers and I make that sound where you just, you know, stop. Anyway, sorry. Um, <laughs> in my research, uh, like Ty said, like he's a good three point or reliable three point shooter. Um, he's pretty long. That works well on defensive end. I, I want to say he was sixth in defensive, like R, RPM, um, according to ESPN's RPM statistic, which is kind of weird. Anyway, um, it seems like the things that has stuck with him in Chicago kind of was his MO when he was declared for the draft. I read his ex, if you go to Draft Express um, in his profile, like, if you read his scouting report, it's like, oh, yeah, like, this is exactly what I'm seeing. Like, you know, kind of lack of aggressiveness kind of thing. Like, he kind of stays in his lane, which we've heard a lot in, you know, the 48 hours since. Um, kind of, I, I guess that also kind of implies with, you know, maybe not like his work ethic or mentality or anything like that. But, like, you know, that I know this has been circling around Twitter, um, the, the clip of – Joku Noah, like, jumping up and, like, they're trying to do a chest bump and Tony Snell just kind of stands there. Like, he didn't know what to, how to react or anything like that, and Joku Noah just gets mad. Like, that kind of, like, sums up this whole lack of aggressive thing. He's Kawhi-esque in terms of emotions. Yeah, basically, like, he just kind of is a – not isolated, but just kind of keeps to, keeps to himself kind of – that how – that's, like, kind of informs, like, his whole game, it seems like. So again, like I said before, like if you're trying a guy, trying to acquire a guy that doesn't get in get in the way, like you know, kind of basically the things that have been you know labeled with or the things labeled to MCW all that for since coming to Milwaukee, they got a guy that is pretty like the polar opposite, I would say, like in terms of this game, all this stuff that you know he looks like the, or the potential that surrounds him. So I don't know. I think the the most important detail in terms of comparing him to Middleton is Ty's right. He doesn't do 
everything that Middleton can do. And once you're going to replace Middleton, you're looking at a drop-off. I think we've all sort of accepted whatever the books were going to be, if everyone was healthy this season, they're going to be worse than that without Chris Middleton. It's, it's that simple. Saying that, Snell does provide above-average contributions in the two areas where Middleton's game was most important to the books. And that's, keep it really simple, that's 3 and D. He doesn't pass quite like Middleton, but you know what, with Giannis, Jabari, Delhi, all on the floor with him, I'm not sure if that will matter so much. Um, he's not a lights-out three-point shooter, but he shoots like, I think for his career, he's at about 36.5%, which is above league average. You're looking about a percent above league average. 35.1 career, but his rookie season was 32. Uh, sophomore, 37. Last year, 36. So over his last two years, he's been better than that. Okay. so That's, better, you... that's better than maybe like two-thirds of the Bucks roster last year, basically. Yeah, and it's better than everyone bar Doug McDermott on the Bulls roster now. Yeah. Um, he is definitely an above-average defender. And for me in preseason, you never read into preseason too much, but there are certain things you see and you can take away. And the aggression is back in the books defense. And it's actually working. Um, it's the the press is even more aggressive than it would have been two years ago. And in theory, Snell is a guy who can come in. He can bolster that further alongside Delhi. With guys switching, he should be comfortable. He'd be able to switch across. He should comfortably guard a tree. I mean, if he ended up on a one in a spell. He probably has enough to get by. He's a very good fit on that end of the floor. So he's not a... I don't know. He's not a perfect like-for-a-like replacement because such a thing doesn't exist. He's a placeholder. Exactly. And as I mentioned earlier, if Middleton was healthy right now and you said Tony Snell's his backup, well, then that might be one of the better two-guard rotations in the NBA. Because you can give a similar sort of look and feel to things no matter which unit. You've got one of the best shooting guards as your starter and sort of a really solid, reliable role player behind him. I think that's that's an important word for what Snell does. It's not spectacular. Um, but it'll be pretty consistent. That's not something that people are getting excited about, and I understand that. But with this team, with the way the roster is sort of shaped up to this point, I think that's a lot more important than everyone is sort of readily giving it credit for. Yeah. And even before Milton's injury, I mean, they, well, especially after Milton's injury, I should say, they just needed something reliable from the shooting guard position. I mean, just. Before this happened, maybe we were thinking, maybe talking about maybe like combination of Mark Carr Williams and Delvadova probably being their best backcourt. I mean, it was that's 
as making the bass bass <laughs> best of a bad situation basically so uh, yeah it's it works for now considering that you it has to work you know there's nothing really else there and i i think adding snail does this thing where i feel you can get two full starting fives and some change or two full rotations so if we're talking full separate rotations if we imagine which just rarely if ever happens but if when the starting five walked off the floor five other guys come out at the exact same time come from the bench i feel the books now have two solid lineups and a little bit over that should be able to execute in terms of what they're looking to do on both ends of the floor. Oh, can I can I try to guess the bench five? Well, just before you guess it, because this was one other thing, just related to MCW that I want to bring in. Okay. Another reason why I think they might have gone down the, the road of moving him, or if not sort of a driving force behind it, a potential benefit, I'm not sure that a second unit, although it would have been much improved, could function with both MCW and Greg Monroe. And Michael Beasley. Yeah, even though I think they, they can run out second unit lineups that he isn't necessarily in. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, I just think he might be the guy... No might about it. He is, in terms of what it meant when they signed him, the big free agent coup, whatever. It's easier just if it doesn't work out and this season doesn't go as planned and he's going to command too much money still, whatever. It's easier to let him walk away in free agency. Trading Monroe, there's no real market because of all the centers that hit free agency this summer. They definitely know about that because he's the guy I think he would have been traded first if they had any interest at all. And just in terms of offense, they're two guys who will need touches, albeit in different spots on the floor. And on defense, MCW can do some things well, but I find this very amusing once again when wider NBA folk come in to weigh in on Michael Carter-Williams or Bulls fans come in uh, to weigh in on Michael Carter-Williams. His defense is being built to be something it isn't. And the two of those guys with someone like, say, Toledovic, who needs to be a linchpin of the second unit, or with Vaughn, if it is Vaughn, who somehow mm-hmm. finds a way to be on the floor and do something, anything, it wasn't, wasn't feasible. With just Monroe, they can, get away, they can get away with it. Maybe this is the way they can get the best out of Monroe in the second unit. Because I think Monroe in the second unit, there's even possibilities for him to be set up to fail if he's having to share the ball with Michael Carter-Williams or share the role of who is the the alpha dog in running that offense. There's no doubt now, if the books were to go five men off, five men on, running the second unit or the go-to guy in that group is going to be Greg Monroe. Here's, here's my five-man bench unit, and I think it would be smart to play this group independently of Giannis and Jabari at times. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, Jason Terry, Michael Beasley, Mirza Toledovic, and Greg Monroe. I think 
remember back when Monroe was still a Piston, and there was a little bit of talk, you know, so I remember Adam and I kept seeing the comments on the Pistons, one of the Pistons blogs where like half the people were real upset that that Detroit wanted him gone. Here's the thing about Greg Monroe. He's similar to Andre Drummond, not in what they do at all, but in what they need around them. Stan Van Gundy realized that to make Andre Drummond as good as possible, he needs to surround him with five shooters because Drummond can rebound the hell out of everything. Don't let anyone else take his airspace away. Just chuck up shots from deep and let Drummond grab all the misses and put them away. That's an efficient team. Greg Monroe would operate best in the same type of offense, except instead of for his rebounding, it's so he has room to score. It's it's different. It's not as uh, not as glamorous in the modern NBA to have a low post scorer as it is a very good rebounder and putback guy. But it's the same principle where both of those guys would be at their best with four shooters around them. I think if the Bucks ran out lineups, and this is, I mean, everyone likes staggering and it's smart to do, but if you're sitting. Giannis and Jabari, and I'm not saying, you know, 20 minutes a game, but like 10 minutes at a time, 10 minutes a game, maybe even less. While those guys are resting, run out four shooters, and you can keep a starter out there if you want. Throw Deli out there, Snell, um, well, that's about it. But you can keep one of those guys out there if you want to. But throw four shooters around Monroe and really give him space. I mean, we've seen he can pass. He's a good passer. If you gave him a lot of room in the paint to work, I think he would have a good season. If you want to see his trade value go up, that's probably the best way to do it. Uh, that's I, I've always felt like that's going to be the best way for him to succeed. I thought when they first first signed him, I mean, I was just happy like everyone else. So, you know, they'll figure out a way to make it work. I don't think there's a way to make it work with him, Jabari, and Giannis all out there at once. There certainly wasn't with those three and Michael Carter-Williams. But I think now the personnel the Bucks have, I mean, you look at it, they don't really have a non-shooter on the roster besides the big two outside of the center position. All the guard, I mean, Vaughn just isn't good. But, like, you look at all the guards, all the forwards even. Like, Beasley is not great, but he can make threes. Toledovich obviously can shoot the three. Novak can do nothing else, but he can shoot threes. They finally have the ability to run up rosters around Greg or lineups around Greg Monroe where you can really surround him with shooters without putting Copeland out there, which I think those could be good lineups for the Bucks. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, start them, but like against other benches, like that could be an effective unit and an efficient one too. We have I like, sorry, sorry, I'm going to step on a Jordan joke here. I've already done it, so I'll <laughs> keep on true. I'll let Jordan in a second, but just – basically tied into that when i say they don't necessarily have to play busy there is one lineup that i really like the idea of uh for a bench group and it ties into what you're saying about surrounding monroe with shooters i'd be interested to see what a slightly bigger lineup would look like with as you put it brogdon and jed in the backcourt and then go for small spells mertz at the tree ton at the four Oh, I was just—I forgot about Thon. That was the guy. Yeah, he, you could do that too. That's because, a good one too. Like that, that could be four shooters. Even if, even if Thon's range isn't full three-point range, or if Brogdon's struggling with that, that's four guys who can knock down shots from some sort of distance. You could have really good spacing and create all this room where Monroe can operate inside, and then sort of. It's it one's complementing the other. Monroe has more space to operate, and he's going to draw double teams, and then the shooters have more room to make shots again. I just think that could be something that is really fun to take a look at. 
I mean, I think it will be. I think it's a little remarkable that Monroe had really good numbers in, in some aspects last year, considering the horrible situations he was in for his player type. Like, he shared the floor with non-shooters pretty much all of the time he was out there. And he still did pretty well. And I mean, the team didn't. And his defense is never going to be incredible. He got a block tonight, by the way, which was – that was that was a crazy Wasn't moment. Was a block for me. from behind as well? Yeah, it was. Yeah, he he looks a lot thinner. Like he looks noticeably thinner. Um, but I mean, I mean, he's still good in the post. I mean, he missed some layups. He's he's only good on offense really when he can get set up. I don't like watching him do quick movement type he things. He needs to like, back a guy down. Yeah, he exactly. needs to back a guy down. But he can like they can put him in spots to do that now. Way better than it could last year. I'm uh, looking forward to the Greg Monroe experiment, six man. I actually I found it interesting watching uh, watching a Pistons broadcast and just how they talked about Monroe and the most telling he's going part, left. Yeah, the most telling part was Rick Mahorn going. He's he's going left. I've never seen him go right. He's just like <laughs> shouting at the players, and of course he's right. He goes left, and he did later take a shot with his right hand that was horrible. Yeah. Uh, did, the thing on his numbers, though, I'm sort of curious to watch that this year because you're right, his numbers were good last year. There are some guys, though, they just they go out and get theirs no matter what, and they sort of they look after their own numbers. Yeah, they do. I think that's. I feel so like I feel like he's that guy, but it he is. could prove us wrong this year. I don't know. No, I think he is that guy, and I think it's bad to be that guy when you're swaggy p and you're that guy. But like you bring in, like you pay Greg Monroe to be that guy, and I think this is something Jordan mentioned to me in a pod, like a week or two ago, or maybe it was, it might've been Adam Kaufman. One of you two mentioned to me that the one thing you really liked about Monroe last year is that like, he is not the kind of guy who's not going to score, you know, like 10 to 15 ish points per game. Like he'll bring that every night. I mean, that's, there's like a, there's a value to that. Like this is something that I was listening to a podcast with snotty Drippin and Dave DeFore and Dave was real low on DeMar DeRozan and Sandy was like, no, there's a value to getting buckets. Like, not a lot of players can go get buckets every night. DeRozan's one of those guys. So is Monroe. I think they want him to do that. And, I mean, I think he he is – I don't know if selfish is the right word. That's just the way guys like that play. I, I don't mind it, though. I mean, it's not – It's more aesthetically games. his game is kind of like – it's a traditional big type game. Aesthetically offensive not- what you're looking for. Yeah, it's I, not. I, it's. I like watching him work in the post. I mean, tonight, right? So this is tonight. I if it was a right. game like tonight, then it's not fun. But, but yeah, and that's. Best. I feel like that is that is the danger of giving him control of the second unit is that when he has a night like he did tonight, and then, I mean, when things started to get bad, then kid obviously went right. Well, well there's no real point. I'm not going chasing this preseason game. This isn't like. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers in April. We don't need to win this game. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, God. game. But Monroe played 22 minutes. I took 19 shots. He went 6 of 19. He took, he took more shots than any other book. Giannis and Jabari combined took 26 shots. Monroe took 19. I didn't see the first half. Do they share the floor a lot? Or was Monroe operating with second units? Um, mostly with second units. More so tonight, I feel, than he had in other ones. I've... Like, see that? I don't. I mean, I don't mind if he takes a lot of those shots. 
Uh, he should pass more. I think. Yeah, there was, he, there, I'm sure there was be. there was shooters he could have found. I'm sure he's there a were. Good passer. I mean, but, he had to... but 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 the other thing, this was against the Pistons. That's a thing for him. It's preseason. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's a thing for him. It's for sure a thing for him. He always tries. Well, then to I can't. I can't wait Pistons. till he's no longer a book. Yeah. And he comes and plays the books and puts up six for 19 games. That's going to be so much fun. When Kobe did it, it was dope. Yeah, Greg Monroe, aged like 38, is going to go out with a 60-point game or something. I would watch that game so hard. That's so much left going to the left movement. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I the left. There are... There are potential good things that could come out of Monroe like that. I do think the lineup has to be I'm I worry about like that group that you mentioned. I worry that Mirza spends more time at the tree and Beasy at the four or something. Yeah. Beasy Beasy Monroe side by side is not a recipe for success. You've good spacing at the other three spots, but I just don't know. Like saying, you mentioned earlier, Beasley can make a tree. Uh, he can, but I mean, he's so can I. But... He's pulling up an unbalanced mid-range jumper. Off-balance. I mean, saying, saying Beasley can make a shot will get me to sort of hesitate as a reaction. If you say Beasley can score... Yes. yes, he's he's somehow <laughs> going to find a way for the ball to go in the basket. Will it be with shots? I, I can't comment on that. He's just going to find some way and the ball is going to go in. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It depends which one they get. Some some years he can shoot, some years he can't. Let's, t- let's talk a little bit about preseason. We're near, I mean, we're nearly there. This, this time next week... We're gonna be what, like, two days out from. What's the first? What, what day is the first game? I feel like the books play on Wednesday. Yeah. Okay, that's the Pacers, isn't it? The Hornets. Oh right. Okay. I don't know why I thought the Pacers. Anyway, they gotta give, they gotta give Greg Monroe forty minutes in this game. In that game. Because the Hornets are like one of the few teams that could really use a center. Well, let's start with let's start with talking centers for the moment. I haven't seen. I missed the Mavs game and I missed the Pacers game. In the games I've seen, John Henson really has barely played. It's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah, what? He, was, he was really good in one of those. And he like, must what, be one of the ones that I've missed. Like tonight, hey, even. the Pacers one. Pacers one. He was good. But that was that was a massive blowout from early, wasn't it? Which I'm guessing was the only reason. No, he got well, it, it was it started great. Yeah, he played 11 minutes tonight, and he didn't play <laughs> very much uh, against the Bulls here night either. Yeah. I mean, it's not. It's not breaking news to say that finding minutes for all three of these centers, particularly when we're talking Plumlee's is perfect fit for the, the starting group, and then we're going, oh, well, Monroe could be this in the second unit. This is creating a problem where what do you do with Henson? But, I mean, does Henson really? Is he really, like, 
rotting with the Novak Vaughn crew right at the bottom of the bench. Are there going to be nights where they don't dress John Henson? I'm just I'm looking at the preseason stats right now, and he threw four games, 16.5 minutes per game, 5.8 points, 3.5 rebounds. And you think that's bad, and then you see Miles Plumley is at 2.5 points and two rebounds and 13.5 minutes per game. Like neither of them have played. It's like neither of them has been overly overwhelmingly impressive. If you look at who's had the best start in the preseason, it's been Henson. His one start, I think, was the Pacers game, and he has put in the best performance by a Bucks starting center. I think if you ranked all their performances. And I didn't see all of the game tonight. I'm guessing none of them did exceptionally well unless Plumley went off quietly. Um, Henson's is the best game. His start against the Pacers. And then just overall games, maybe Monroe's coming off the bench in their first game is up there. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, most of the preseason has been real quiet for this this group, which is a little concerning considering how much money is tied up in them. I mean, it's preseason. It's preseason. I know it's preseason. But, I mean, they're combining, like, two guys who both have four-year contracts totaling a combined, I don't know, 90 million, are combining to score, like, six or seven or eight points per game right now, which is just – it doesn't matter in the long run. It's just not encouraging is what – I don't know. I wouldn't want to say it's discouraging, but it is not encouraging about the financial future of the center position of the Milwaukee Bucks. Well, I think the, we're just seeing – uh how it's gonna it might be a struggle if if people don't if either one of Plumley, Henson, and Monroe kind of consistently bring something to the table, trying to juggle minutes and for them to you know make the best out of those limited minutes. Maybe it's Henson if he's you know the the third big in the big banana, I guess. I don't know why I said banana. But uh if he's the third one to come out and he's only playing 10 minutes, you know, for a string of games, something like that, it's on him to try to make that, you know, the, give it his best in those opportunities. Like that's, that's why it's such a weird, that's the one kind of hurdle that really remains on this roster besides maybe uh, a lack of point guard depth or quality point guard depth. It's just trying to juggle those minutes and trying to like, you know, this guy may be going, going off or something like that, but are they, is the whole unit working together or are they going to try to go with someone that may be more compatible? I don't know. It's 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 going to be a struggle sometimes if, if at times if nothing, you know, picks up in the next couple of weeks or as the season nears. I mean, the reason Henson worries me is the big problem I have with it is that I think we're all in agreement that Monroe is gone this time next year. There's a, I don't see what Unless he's slight ops in. Yeah, that's that's literally the only way because I don't think he's going to take a cheap enough deal that he comes back. I don't even think they'd want to really give him that. I don't know. Well, no, but I mean, it's... In that case, what 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 is the point of leaving Henson just as this big park guy at the back of the rotation when next year you need him to be more than that? Well, this is something I, I touched on in one of my pieces about, like I think it was one of the previews, it seems like Monroe's already been slotted as the sixth man, and it feels like Plumley's the favorite to start. But like if Henson just vastly outplays Plumley early in practices preseason, 
and in the first couple of games, I mean, he might not even get playing time in the first couple of games. Yeah, I think he's got to do that in practice, right? Hasn't he? Because... But I mean, but it, but if he looks much better, and Plumlee has not shown us anything at all this preseason, if Henson just looks better, but I don't think I don't think I don't, they don't think want Plumlee to show anything really. They just... Exactly, I think they already know what he can do. He's just on cleanup duty, basically. That's what it feels like. It's like just be in the right spot. So that... I think they want to run pick and rolls with him. They haven't really. I know they haven't, but I, it, that was something they kept talking about. And like, I know Charles had a great piece on the Charles Gardner had a great piece on this, and that Giannis and Giannis and Plumlee have real good chemistry on pick and rolls. Can we talk a little about Giannis' offense? Because to me, it's looked he's looked exceptional in terms of it's looked easier than ever for him to beat a guy in isolation. Mm-hmm. Yet. Under four assists per game so far in the preseason. Exactly. He's, he's not really running stuff. There isn't enough pick and roll. There aren't enough actions where he's looking to create and play make. It's more like he's looking to score. And I don't know if that's really doing much for him. Like to, Tonight was a good example. He had that was a four or five turnovers. Okay, a couple of those were travels and dubious travels at that. And Monroe, a couple... Yeah, Monroe just mm. wetting the bed, basically. But I just don't know if I like the way the offense has run so far. We haven't seen it's sort of it's easy to gloss over and just go, oh, look at these Yana's highlights, which I will have to raise my hand and say I'm very guilty of putting that <laughs> look at these Yana's highlights narrative out there. But this isn't the same kind of offense he ran post All-Star break. Like, this isn't the style of Giannis that we all bought in for as point Giannis. He's showing something... I, I feel like he's showing something new. He's showing he's better, which is great. I would just like to see more distribution. A little bit more of a backseat. This was supposed to be the idea of bringing in Matthew Delvadova as opposed to a Michael Carter winning. Well, I think, I mean, it's just, I don't think it's just exists for Giannis. I, don't, I think it exists for everybody. I think, you know, the last three games, uh, even the, the first Bulls preseason game, I mean, those runs or these scoreless routes, I mean, that's really concerning. I know it's preseason and all this stuff, but like, well, this is happening repeated times. It's the there's four been four games where this has happened, and even the Dallas game. I mean, there was a noticeable lack of firepower in that game. And I think when we were talking about this last week, it just looked really evident to me, at least. You know, it was eighty-eight to seventy-four, just just like a slog. Like that's. I don't think it's it's definitely. I wouldn't say it's necessarily on Giannis. Obviously, his numbers have haven't. Uh, distribution numbers at least. I mean, haven't looked the greatest, but it's kind of been it's been how the offense has run. It's been just really, I don't know. It's just been really. It's it's on the lack of Middleton. I mean, I mentioned this earlier. Chris Middleton's a really good passer. He was. I don't think that's just it, though. I, I really think I think part of it is. I think he was probably. I don't know best, but he was one of the more. Considering uh, how good he was, he was one of the more willing passers on the Bucks last year. I don't. I don't think it. It, it does come down to passing, but also his shooting. I think this is something when it really got bad earlier. I I tweeted, 
And for me, it's the most striking thing. It was basically the starters out there when it got really bad in this Pistons mm-hmm. game, they started to run away. And it was the same group that had opened up like, I don't know, 20 to four lead in the first quarter. Yep. And you're like, what's the difference? And the difference was that in that spell, when things started to go really badly, there was no composure. There was no one to just drop the ball off to and say, okay, let's run this possession and use 24 seconds of the shot clock, whether we make or miss, and just sort of let's bring this down. There was this frantic pace. It was like Giannis was still driving to the basket. Jabari was looking to sort of get out, maybe grab a steal, or just push pace and just basically charge towards the basket. Delhi was guilty the same. There was no one just saying, okay, this is bad, but we've completely controlled the game. We've looked by far the better team so far. We've picked them apart at will. Let's just pause for a moment and slow it down. Now, I would like to be that guy. I would like to think of the regular season, though, even. Jason Kidd would call a timeout. There is this thing where sometimes in preseason, coaches let that go because they sort of say, well, you know what? We might be in this spot in the regular season. Let's see how they deal with it. Let's see if they can rally, weather the storm, and sort of hold their own and come back into it. And that was there for the books, even when they were like 10 points down. They could have stabilized things, and they'd shown they had the beating of this, this Pistons team. And yes, they, they couldn't they couldn't just get a foothold again. And to me, that's something that's a concern is that when these runs come, that's it. It's game over. It's not like yeah. these are coming at the start of the game and we see a fight back. The books have actually been starting games pretty well, doing pretty solid. And then the run comes and the game is over. There's no coming back from it. It's like once they once they roll over and give that up, it's done. No, it's been, again, like you said, like all when these runs happen and there isn't a timeout or, and again, it's preseason, you want to see if these, the group of guys that you throw out there can, you know, storm back or make it a competitive game again. But this has been, we talked about this a lot with Jason Kidd last year. And even before, even the year, the first year that he was here, there will be times where, you know, the offense kind of gets, you know, comes to a halt and defense is trying to force turnovers, you know, create some offense that way. And, the, you know, the lead shrinks and it starts becoming a closer game than normal. And there isn't a stoppage. There isn't, you know, trying to recalibrate all this stuff. It's been pretty consistent over his time in Milwaukee. And it just seems like maybe I, I would like to think things change when – you know, the regular season starts, but when it came, when it's happening in preseason and it's happened in 80% of the games that we've seen so far, that's still a little worrying, is it not? You know, like it's... Yeah, but that, that's when you look at someone like Greg Popovich. Pop, like, it would take... There are times where it would just take back-to-back baskets. I've seen, with, no, I've seen him do it on one basket. Oh, I know, but uh, if we're talking about runs, which is really what seems to kill the books over and over... Even if you want to give the benefit of the doubt, so it's just okay. That was one bad basket, but then if you go down, you have a quick miss, and they come down the other end, say in transition, score again. Like that's it. Pop is not having any more of that. That's timeout. You get the guys in. You give them a message. Refocus. Calm down. We're in control of the game. 
if they went back out and the same thing happened again, he called another timeout. Oh, he, no... he would take out the whole the, the whole five too. I mean, that, that's what timeouts are for, though. Really, I don't understand saving timeouts for later in the game when you might be there later in the game. I mean, while you have control of the game, if it's starting to slip, they are pretty horrible in the way they kill momentum of NBA games. But they're a tool that's there for you. So when the momentum is with the other team, that's when to turn to timeouts. That's that's really what it's most effective for. I think there's this there's this wider problem in the NBA where I don't know, maybe coaches like the idea of timeouts to hear the sound of their own voice. We talked about this in the summer when we were watching Delhi, particularly at the Olympics, just the difference it makes reduce timeouts particularly late in the game and players just make decisions and they're good enough to do that i just there are times when timeouts need to be called and kid didn't do it last year hopefully he will this year but there are times when they need to be called and it's not that they need to be called and you need to say we need to do this and we need to do that you're just calling it to, to stop things to slow things down everyone just recompose yourselves we're going to start with an inbounds here. Just get back into your rhythm and keep what you're doing what you were doing to get in a good position to begin with. And it's a little concerning that we saw that all of last year. I find it harder to give the, the whole preseason benefit of the doubt for that reason. We've seen we've seen the movie before where the books just give up run after run. We've had our coke and popcorn before while we're watching the movie. <laughs> Maybe another coke and popcorn break would. <laughs> and no, you know it wouldn't because Joe Prunty would probably call timeouts. Damn. The banner will hang one day. One day. One last thing before we get on to the mailbag. Hasn't played a whole lot, hasn't played particularly well. But I feel like this is genuinely worth doing. This is sort of playing devil's advocate as much as anything. The books aren't going to do this, but... Mm. Would anyone really... What is wrong? Because the answer is yes. Should anyone really be upset if the books decided, you know what? We'd be a better team if we kept Orlando Johnson and got rid of Rashad Vaughn. <laughs> Here is my response to this. Uh, I kind of like Orlando Johnson. I'm not particularly sold. That being said, there are teams like the Celtics and Pelicans who will have to release a guard just by virtue of having a lot. And there are guards that they will release that I would much rather have than Rashad Vaughn. Like, if you wait, I don't, I don't remember exactly what the day is. It's like October 20 something, if I think, when you have to trim your roster down. If you wait until that day, there'll be some really fun guards available. And those I mean, teams will try to put them on their D League rosters. But once they're released, they're, there's no contractual obligation for that to happen. I talked to Chris Reichert about this a couple of weeks ago. So the Bucks should absolutely poach one of those players. I mean, the Bulls that we talked about earlier, remember when we said, like, uh, Jerry and Grant, Isaiah Kane, and Spencer Dinwiddie. If they got one of those three guys, I'd be so excited. All three of them are better than Vaughn. Yeah, for sure. 
Especially Jerry and Grant. I don't think they cut him. I I always I've always had since before he was drafted a soft spot for Spencer Dinwiddie and that injury sort of really messed everything up and he hasn't got it. I like Dinwiddie too. Since, but I know this is it's it's not gonna happen, but and you're laughing, Jordan, but really what I'm looking for is why shouldn't it happen? I think this is the best read that we have on what Vaughn is or the stage this has got to. And we've, we really have given them every benefit of the doubt. So why shouldn't that happen, Jordan? I don't know. I, I tweeted uh, after the Indiana, why I was going so formal there, the Indiana Pacers game versus the Milwaukee Bucks game. Um, I tweeted uh, the Simpsons clip where it's about the it's the episode where the PTA disbands and uh, and uh, Mrs. Carabo and uh, Principal Skinner are fighting over like it's about like the P the PTA is about to disband and he goes uh, she's talking about like the children having futures he's like oh but kid, or he says something like oh right, and we both know these kids have no future and they all hear him. And uh, he, after that, he realizes everybody's heard of it. And he goes, prove me wrong, kids. Prove me wrong. That's basically <laughs> my feelings of Rashad Vaughn. So uh, I just, I don't know. I don't know. At this point, the only reason to hang on to him is because he was a first-round pick 20? on the year. No, that's not even a reason. There are random people they could stop in the streets who are 20, and, I mean, you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between them and Rashad Vaughn. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm 21 until January. I'm a great clapper. There, Orlando Johnson's dueling for a roster spot, which uh, reminds me, he's the greatest buck to wear uh, the number of 55 since Keon Dueling. Yeah, I mean, oh, last war, you're dirty. You're dirty for that. I would, I would, 100% take key on dueling over Shavon right now. Here, this is this is fun. You look at Major, Orlando Johnson's Major stats. Key on du- is that a thing? Oh, people no, say? no, Major it's not. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Orlando Johnson <laughs> shooting 35.7 from the field and 40% from three. Not great numbers. Then you look at good old Shoddy. He's like an MVP compared to fifteen point four percent from the field, eleven point one percent from the field. When you can crack twenty percent shooting in the preseason, some of these guys you're playing against won't be on rosters either by the time the season starts. I have nightmares every. I have this recurring nightmare where I hear a ball clank. And it's literally oh Rashad Vaughn misses from three like that's literally every time like has oh, he made it? Th- those numbers are they basically? Is the only thing stopping those from being like zero zero that that one out of nine he made against the Bulls, which was pretty close to a game winner? I think so. no, I think that might be the only one that he's hit honestly, because he's because he's played only two games because he's had a spread ankle. Let's see. He's had a sprained ankle. Or oh, he's he's going on a fish. He's getting worked. He's gonna get chopped. <laughs> getting chopped means something else now, Jordan. No, I, I said um, chopped. Oh. Get, 
He's gone, he's gone swimming with the fishes. That's yeah, he is two for 13 from the field, one for nine from three. Oh, he's, so outside of the game, winner, he's had one he hasn't made a tree, and he's had one other made field goal. Wow. He is. He has as many. Oh, fouls, he has as many fouls and turnovers combined as points. I mean, if you look at the article I wrote about I him, like send right, that shooting chart to the cornfield. Oh my god! Right after last year, and I was just finding like fun macabre Rashad Vaughn stats. Like, if you look at the minutes Macab? he played, macabre. Isn't it no. macabre? Isn't that how you say? Oh, ah. Like, like how little Jordan, I hate you. <laughs> how little statistics he totaled in his playing time. It's it's almost unprecedented. Like how little things he did. There was ba- basically this segment is called uh, the Bucks take it, the UNLV on um, Rashad Vaughn. Oh my god! I'm so sad. I remember when they picked him. I did this big piece about we how all good were Rashad Vaughn was going to be. We all had hope. Well, we all didn't like the pick either. Bobby Portis. I talked myself into into like you. Yeah. Like I normally do with many bucks transactions. Uh, that's funny. I'm having fun. Does anyone else find it weird that Jaleel Roberts is still around? I think they forgot about him. Uh, yeah, well, I forget about and him. Jay, like, what I, about J.J. O'Brien? Yeah, well, they, they sort of played him a little bit. I think Jaleel Roberts, oh, uh, no, he's getting less minutes. But I get a shock every time he appears. I'm like... I mean, he's averaging 3.8 minutes per game. What is the point of that? Give those 3.8 minutes to Henson. <laughs> Literally, what is the point of that? That's crazy. Bobby Portis made 30.8% of his threes last year. Just saying. Like the guy they that's, picked that's to be the probably shooter. more than Vaughn made. Vaughn's percentage last season and this preseason combined. It is. He shot 30.5% last year and 11.1% this preseason. So hey, combined. but technically, maybe they, they've got an upgrade on Bobby Porter's. Oh, no, Vaughan. it's not. Never mind. I was looking yeah. at field goal. It's not. Right? I can't Guys. talk about Vaughn anymore. Yeah, we. I think we might have to have a... Oh, uh, we're going to have a Vaughn thing every week, are we? No, let's do a moratorium. A moratorium. We might have to like have a hiatus of talking about Vaughn because it just makes us everyone sad. Yeah, it's kind of it's not hopeless. It's literally hopeless. I hope he gets better. I mean, statistically, it's very improbable, but I hope he gets better. You're talking about having a hiatus of talking about uh, Vaughn reminds me of Ty and I were talking earlier about Fred Hoiberg's comments about a week ago when he said. Yeah, Tony Snell's not gonna play for a little bit. Yeah, he's he's got a sprained ankle. He'll be out. So he actually he does. Really we should, we should, maybe we should not talk about Rashad Vaughn for a little bit. How about it? Yeah, yeah. He's not gonna play for a little bit. He's not gonna play for a little bit. When Jason Kidd comes out and gives him like one last vote of confidence, and then he starts retweeting. Serious XM radio stuff. <laughs> then we'll know the writing is on the wall. Tune in. Red Rome. <laughs> Time for the mailbag. Mailbag. Oh, I hope we're all ready. Um, 
That, you, sound, you sound encouraged for this first, first one. Dunes uh, for shiz. Is the Brandon Knight trade the worst NBA trade in the last three years? No, I, that salary dump that I mentioned earlier probably is. That those, the Kings did. That's got to be up there. AJ, uh, a sneaky bad trade, and Adam knows this very well. Uh, the the Hawks trading Adrian Payne for a first rounder to the Timberwolves. That's yeah, a, that's, that's pretty bad. On the t- yeah, that's Adrian that would Payne be sucks. that's the equivalent. That's the equivalent of the Bucks trading Rashad Bond. No, but the difference. I actually think Payne was the seventeenth overall pick as well. Um, the Ooh, eerie. Call the difference is. Call up the Timberwolves the now. The Hawks traded them after like two months because they went, oh boy. That's how you know. That, I don't know why you trade for a guy after he got, if you got drafted two months ago. But you know what I mean? That You can do you that. Don't, you don't trade like, for that guy. You're like, okay, he's still the first round. Call that the Jody Meeks. Yeah. Like if you get traded on draft night, that's one thing. But like if you worked out with the team a little while and then all of a sudden they're like, hey, this guy's available. Nah. I'm we're, good. Look, we're we're answering this seriously, which is ridiculous. It's obviously not the worst NBA trade in the last three years. It's not even close. It's a trade that the books got other things out of. They, you, you know, why we do this thing? Actually, uh, Lucas Harkins, our contributor, did this great piece on Brandon Jennings a while ago, and how Brandon Jennings still sort of influences the franchise today. And people love to trace this. Of all the players the books have got from Brandon Jennings. Slava Kravstov. Yeah, don't forget that. That might be the worst trade from the Pistons side of things. Take one branch of trades out of that. And we could do that article on Brandon Knight. Miles Plumley, you know that guy who's like the perfect fit of a center for Point Yanis? He came out of that. Tyler Ennis came out of that, who became Michael Beasley. MCW is Tony he, Snell. He just had to laugh at whatever. That's three rotation guys. The Suns would love to get rid of Brandon Knight. They'd love a real offer. they start. They're, he's coming off the bench, and he uh, and he moans about it. He, it's it's like MCW. I know people can't it's see literally, that. I, I I I've obviously today there was a you know the big brouhaha about all this trade stuff, and it just it's so funny to me. The Pete, when people talk about Brandon Knight, and he was really, I give him credit, I was never the biggest fan of him, but he was good for the first half of the year before he got traded. That's for sure. All-star but in the time since, he was a borderline all-star. He's a debatable all-star um, as a replacement. We have to say that, too. I, on, a completely, <laughs> on a completely different team, on a team where Giannis wasn't even like – Giannis wasn't yes. the guy. Giannis wasn't starting to start that season. Middleton wasn't Barney starting. Was, Jabari was Barney injured. injured. It's like yes. there's no that's that's that is literally like saying Michael Carter Williams was really good on the Philadelphia 76ers as a rookie. Well, the yeah. difference is that Bucks team made the playoffs. Yeah. Like they won games. They but the won. other thing though, too, that it means comes into this is Carter that Williams did. it was bore it was debatable if he was the you know this true the true reason why they made it to the playoffs or were had a 41 and 41 record. I mean, the no, one, was, no one player who's not a top five player is the one reason. Any the reason, oh, yeah, but Hummet, the reason that season, it's easy to go, oh, Brandon Knight was the best player before the All-Star break. Yeah, that's true. 
what the Bucks got to the playoffs and what gave the Bucks success that season was not a best player or any one individual. It was their team defense. And no, but I mean, team defense doesn't was, make game-winning shots. And no, but that's they didn't make a whole lot of shots. They won games by being the second-best defense in the NBA. And, mm-hmm. okay, Brandon Knight played his role within that. But if you're going to tell me he was integral to the team defense, that's not true because that's something that did manage to carry over into the second half of the season, into the playoffs, when, say, a lot of their offensive numbers took a big drop off. Mm-hmm. So, and the guy and the, the Brandon Knight of during that season has not been the Brandon Knight. No, not even close to it. No, I mean, he's yeah. been hurt the whole time. He he's not been hurt the whole time. He's not been hurt the whole time. 52 games last year. I mean, even if he's uh, – fine. Let's, let's say he's been hurt the whole time. Why would we want a piece of the guy who's been hurt the whole time? The I'm not saying anyone months? wants a piece of him. I'm just saying you're tearing him up for no reason. I don't know why. For no someone... reason. Ty, he's not good. Yes, he <laughs> he's, is. He's a perfectly average point guard. The last time he was healthy for a whole season, for a whole tenure with a team, was with the Bucks in the playoff year. He averaged 18 points, five and a half assists, over four rebounds, and over one point and over 1.5 steals per game. He shot 43% from the field and 41% from three. He did that on a team with guys like Zaza Pachulia, Ursan Leosova. He had really good, reliable role players. No one who was going to shoot. No one who was going to score. So okay. he's going to have every opportunity to do that. So then he goes to Phoenix and. Him and Eric Bledsoe. I mean, Eric Bledsoe is really good. That should work out well. Guess what? It doesn't. He can't play with other players. He's he not. He can't play with another point guard. I, I just really, I mean, I just don't think he as is as good. And people base it off of half of a season. He's, it's the same. It's the he same. would be a good. I feel like he'd be a very good six man. But he's not even prepared to embrace that role. He's well, not on the. I wouldn't embrace that role if I was him on the Suns. Why? Because he's got Eric Bledsoe and Devin Booker, who are both much better players playing ahead. I wouldn't say. I wouldn't say Devin Booker is not a better player than he is right now. Devin Devin Booker Booker has defense. The future of a franchise. Yeah, he does. But Brandon Knight is the future of a franchise. I would start him too. I would start him too. Brandon Knight is not a savior like some people make him out to be. He's also not a garbage player. He's a fine player who's been in a, a, a situation in Phoenix that has been hell for every guard that's been there. And what have they had? Six point guards over the last like three years? Something like that? I mean, there was a time they were running three point guards. And now they tried to run two point guard situations last year. They didn't realize it doesn't work. They keep trying to do this. It's not a good idea. I, I think bl- blaming the Phoenix situation. I don't think it's the system. It's the it's again. It's it's similar to the whole MCW. This idea that the Bucks had about MCW. It's perfectly like it's how people view Brandon Knight. The idea of Brandon Knight then is not what he is now, and he hasn't shown it outside of the first fifty or so games of that season. He wasn't that guy with the Pistons, and he hasn't been he that guy not, with the Suns. And his other season with the books, he was fine. Wasn't that good? It also happened to be the worst season in books franchise history. So no. I don't, I just don't know where people get this idea on Brandon Knight. He's fine, but let's not pretend he's really, really good. And he's at least normal good. He's perfectly average. Honestly, he's perfectly average. That's all he I is. Average. If Brandon Knight is your starting point guard, if you're a team and he was your starting point guard, you're a bad team. 
Yeah, he's like that's, he's like that's still better than average. I don't think it is. Uh, like, There's at least sixty point guards in the NBA. He's better than the thirtieth point guard. Right. Well, so if I'm that's what we're talking about, guard. then people need to stop talking about like that trade because if we're talking about a guy who we're talking about, well, where does he figure within sixty point guards in the NBA? He's not worth talking about. Well, everyone. I mean, Chris Paul figures. You're talking about too. value above replacement players. Well, by that sort of measure, he's a replacement player, so he's yeah. not moving the needle. And I think that's the key point uh, at the moment. Whatever. Okay, if we go along with what you're saying, and it is, it's that the situation in Phoenix is bad for him. Or if we said it's his health, or we said whatever. The fact is, right now and last season, he was pretty bad. And he has a lot of work to do to turn that around. And the Suns already want them there. Uh, mm-hmm. I just feel like we're now a little bit more detached and we have the good memories of it. It would be like Sixers fans saying, Sixers fans who didn't want MCW traded in the first place to go, well, what, are the, what are the books doing trading MCW? What's the benefit of that? I just find it's a weird thing. Just no, they, to, they should trade him from Phoenix. He's not a good fit there. To but get, I think there are places he would be good. To get off of the specific of just Brandon Knight, just this idea of that trade, and I'm still talking about this. I alluded to this earlier. People need to let it go. We can't, when Michael Beasley is traded at some stage, signs a new deal, he's traded, and then people go, bring it back to the Brandon Knight trade because he came there via the Brandon Knight trade in some really loosely connected way. It's nonsense. If the Brandon Knight trade was a mistake, fine. The Brandon Knight trade was a mistake. That has no relevance, though, to when it comes to trading Michael Carter-Williams. They brought Michael Carter-Williams in because they were trying to do something and he was going to be the guy. In the time since, as we've said, as much sort of a result of bringing MCW in, they found out something that might actually be the answer for them. The team has made a lot of mistakes in recent years with trades, with drafting players, whatever. All we can ask is that they learn from that. And say, for example, the MCW deal that they've just done. It's easy to say value of players. He's a better player, whatever. The fact is they've gone for fit. They've learned from mistakes of the past. I feel that's just, that's the thing that's getting lost. This Everyone wants to focus in on details that are completely irrelevant. Brandon Knight has nothing to do with the books anymore likely never will do again at the moment regardless if he is a good player and i'm wrong on how i feel about him or jordan's wrong on how he feels about him he's fighting to prove what he is in the nba that's Mm -hmm. that's what he's facing this season i I I hope they trade him i don't think he's a good fit there i'd love to see him on a different team i'd love to see brandon knight i hope he goes somewhere i hope he goes somewhere and he's good but whether he's good or bad, yeah, like, he has nothing to do with the Bucks. I agree. Exactly. It's dumb. I no longer see the bearing. Like it doesn't. It wouldn't even matter if MCW was there and he was still terrible or he was really good. Once the trade's done, the trade's done. The trade is good or bad. More than enough time has passed where we've all long made our judgment on that. All I want is Brandon Knight on the Mavericks. That'd be fun for me. Yeah, that might be fun. Next one from Alex underscore Kane zero two three. Was this too much of a panic play to get rid of MCW? 
No, I don't, no. I don't think it was a panic play. No, I, I think I, I said this earlier as well. He, I don't think they'd have moved him if they didn't find the right deal. And Snell was a guy who actually made sense because they could fill that Middleton gap in the interim, but have a guy that if he turned out well, if they could do an extension with him like they are supposedly interested in doing or even match an offer sheet next summer, he'd be a useful rotation piece. I mean, it's not like they traded him for like Jordan Mickey. Like they traded him for two guys that they they tried to trade him for two guys that they wanted. It's Ben McLemore, who I have problems with his defense, but Ben McLemore has got potential. He's a young player. He's explosive. He can shoot. And Snell's a good defender, and he can shoot. Like those are guys they wanted. It's not like they just snatched up like the first shooting guard that they could find. Like it's it. What's it, not a disaster trade? It really yeah, is. You're right on that because the fact that they even looked at McLemore, that was evidence that this wasn't just let's just go and do something they were thinking okay well this kind of guy could do this for us this kind of guy could do that and they tried a couple of things and then they settled on one that they were happy with by the way uh one quick thing on that if you look up if you compare macklemore and tony snell pretty closer than you probably realize even though snell has had both of, well, both of them have been disappointed with their team or with uh, their or teams, I should say. It's pretty close, and there is, like you said, there is a similar or uh, thinking behind both trying to get Macklemore or even Jeremy Lamb rumored to try to go after Jamie Lamb. It's all, yeah, it's all thought together. Is it also worth noting with um, with Tony Snell? It doesn't get spoken about a whole lot, but Compared to a lot of the guys we're talking about, last year didn't work out so good for him, but he was once sort of a regular part of the rotation, a useful role player on a very good team. Even last year he was. Oh, yeah, they weren't good. Uh, But but Hoiberg didn't like him that much even, but I mean... He did did get a career high minutes per game, though. He was, even though nobody liked him, he still started more games than he ever had and played over 20 minutes per game last year. But I do think that's important that he's been on a good team and he was able to contribute, contribute well, whatever. I, I think that matters and it doesn't get spoken about. Like that's that's the thing when when you look at the King situation, if the trade had gone another way and you're like, Well, okay, there's still plenty of room for Macklemore to develop, but I mean, what do we really know? He's been on bad teams. That goes one of two ways. You go, oh, he's been bad because he's been on bad teams, or he sort of has played a role in that one way or another. With Tony Snell, you've just seen that he can fit in with a group that is well-drilled, well-organized, and very effective in getting results. And under a coach like Tibbs, I mean, you know, when we talk about how a lot of players who've come to Milwaukee, they mention how difficult they find it adjusting to the defense and whatever, picking up on calls and things. You'd like to think that would be a little bit easier for Snell, having played under Tibbs. Obviously, the switching is a little bit different, but he's going to be used to having played under a coach who puts that kind of emphasis on that side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Another one from Alex underscore Koenig, 023. There are a few from Alex, just to be warned. 
We traded fit for talent, but did we give up too much talent for potentially not enough fit? We couldn't get a second round pick, question mark. And you wouldn't want a second round pick. Expired, expiring. He was expiring contract. Why would I don't well, think I mean, well, they both are. Yeah, but like I, that's that, the key right? thing. That's why both teams are prepared to just do it. It's because... One for one. Well, neither, neither team wanted to be in a position where they're looking at matching offer sheets. So... Yeah, well, that and... Like, I, did, I don't know if Alex is kidding with the second round pick thing or that... Just remembering, like, most second-round pit drafts aren't as good as this last one. Like, we all talked about this was a weird draft because it was, like, the first two picks are really good. And then it's, like, a lot of guys were like, well, we'll take him here, but he, I don't know if we want this guy at five or six overall. And then, like, toward the end of the first, like, top of the second round, there's a lot of guys who are on, like, pretty even footing. So, like, some guys like Deonta Davis, Pat McCall, Malcolm Brogdon, fell to the second round where some of those guys still make second round in other drafts. Like second round picks usually are worth just about nothing, especially yeah. if you're on any sort of a good team. Yeah. See, the thing is there's this weird thing in the books fan base at the moment over second round picks, which I'm not going to go into because I'll probably burst some blood vessels in my eye or something. Um, but well, that should be just happening. I was going to make it a terrible job. <laughs> There is this, at the moment, I guess, this instinct to view second-round picks as more than they are. They're useful. I mean, if they, I guarantee you, if the books could have got a second-round pick, they would have got one. No. Well, yeah, you know what, you're right. You think they would have rather had a second-round pick than Tony? No, Sam? no. But he's talking about. Uh, well, I was taking that as he meant with it. Oh, yeah. I thought he meant yeah. instead. No, you, know, you could you could be right either, but I was thinking as he meant wit. I don't know if the yeah, Wolves have picks. I think they do, but I mean, I feel like that's a lot. Why are they gonna give up a second round pick and a player for someone who's a free agent next summer? And if they don't actually like him, he doesn't work out. Well, then they don't even want to keep him. Yeah. The reason the deal goes down is because it's a no risk gamble for both sides. Throw a pick into the mix, all of a sudden. They're mortgaging okay. something, even if it's minor. They're um, sending second round picks in 2017 and 2019. So they go. would have had to. If, uh, if they threw, if they threw in 2018, they wouldn't have had the next three second rounders. There you go. Once again, from Alex, do we have a bench you and a point guard? Brogdon. Yeah, I think that's simple. Or, or Terry. Oh, uh, Terry, they both can do it. That's I think they'll play Jet at the two, though. Well, I think it's going to... Taysen I mean, Jerry. This is going to be like the number one team in terms of positional fluidity and just weirdness in terms of... Instead of looking at the five positions, it's going to be like you're going to have your ball handlers and then your wing players and then your big guys. I mean, there's... I think either of those guys are going to take the ball up. I don't think there's going to be like a... Like if Jet's right there, he's not going to be like, get over here, Brock, and I can't take this ball up. I think you're going to see a George Carl-esque two-guard backcourt in the, the second unit when those two guys are out there. I think part of just why they'll make Brogdon do it more is because of Jet's very obvious sort of greater comfort level of making off trees ball. off yeah. ball. Yeah. I think, I think that's the most logical reason. Um, and I just I feel like it's definitely – they're gearing Brogdon up to be – like first choice backup point guard. He when he's on the floor in yeah. preseason, he's been given that responsibility. Well, and he, he is by default now. 
Yeah, he is, but I mean, he's he's done that pretty well in preseason. Yeah, I'm not saying he hasn't. I just mean like this. They've literally made it so there are almost no other options. It's him or Terry. Yeah, absolutely. But what the guy can do is make decisions. He's a good decision maker. Whether he's going to execute to what they needed, that's a different story. That might take some time. But he's smart enough to know what he should do and to try and go about that. The important thing is to be patient. Like It usually takes point guards a little while to get into their thing, especially rookies. Obviously, that's what I mean, rookie point guards. Like it might take him a year, even though he's more polished than your average rookie. It still might, uh, it just might take him a little while. Hashtag decision 2016. Oh, man. Well, that's funny because they call him the president. Yeah, funny. He proves um, that still. Oh, God. Once again, from Alex, what should we expect and what is too much for a Snell extension? I find this really interesting because there's this fine line between getting a deal done and having him tied down and then taking the gamble and being locked into someone who really wasn't worth giving a contract to. You'd have to think it would be like what Ish Smith got or less. Ish Smith got $6 million a year. See, because it's an extension, I think it's... No, there's no the minimum is vet minimum. No, I, but but what I'm gonna say, I think he gets overpaid relative to his value. I don't know. I'm not saying it goes over six million a year, but because it's an extension, you need to give him enough where his agent could say to him, you know what, it's a good idea to take this deal now rather than play the year out and try to make more money. Mm-hmm. You're playing that risk reward game, and if you're already thinking of giving them an extension like the book seemingly are they must be really high on him like they must be convinced he's going to have a great year I mean it's just maybe it's also, I also think it's customary though I mean it's well I, I just think uh, it's, but, I mean yeah, the Bulls aren't going to look at it with MCW no then I mean it's MCW wouldn't MCW wouldn't take a, a cheap offer Snell might that's the difference but they have I mean all the all the beat writers like Casey Johnson Chicago Tribune have said the Bulls have no interest in talking extension with MCW they want to see him play out the year and they go from there in the summer yeah well it's like if you can lock a guy down who you know can be a rotational player in Snell for like three more years at like 15 to 18 million total. I mean, it's just smart in how the cap is now. I mean, you're not going to find someone for less than that unless you draft them. Like, would something like, say if they went longer on years, would something like four years, 22 be too much? Maybe. I don't know. It's... I feel the I mean, price is okay, but then if he doesn't turn out to be good, the extra years could kill you. You just look at how their cap looks. It's already so tough. I think that's why maybe they're thinking, you know what, if we could persuade him and get him in at a steal, then we've done something really good by tying up another rotation. I mean, if they can get him for like three years, like $10 million, which I don't oh. know, maybe not impossible. Uh, that, that's like what some draft picks are getting there are a couple of second rounders. I don't, I don't, if he has an agent, which I'm assuming he does, there's no way his agent's going to let him sign that deal. Yeah. How much did Deion Waiters get? 
I can't you remember, know, but I, it was a it one was a, year. It was a minimum deal. Was it minimum? I believe so. I thought it was over then, but I'm not sure. The difference I mean, Dion, is Tommy Snell does not have Dion Waiters' additional baggage. Or but he doesn't have Dion Waiters' potential either. Yeah, I know. But I mean, 2.9 Two years, six million. So that'd be the same per year that Dion Waiters. around your three years, ten million, I guess. Yeah. But, um, I mean, people forget not every contract that was given out was completely insane this summer. Like, there was a lot of quiet, good deals. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I definitely they shouldn't be sort of going out of their way to get an extension done. Have the discussion, and if he his agent puts out like four years, twenty four million, you sort of then back off and say, okay, well, we'll talk about that next summer. You'll have his rights anyway, so you don't need to make a foolish decision. And I'm, go on. No, I'm just looking through some other ones. Like I'm trying to find similar. I mean, Jared Jack got the minimum with the Hawks. I, I caught coming off an Achilles injury. Yeah, yeah, coming off. Troy Daniels got three years, ten million. Tim Frazier, two years, four million. I mean, I I think Tony Snell is more proven than those guys. Dwayne Dedman, two years, six million, but that's a Spurs contract. Still, all all of those guys, I think Tony Snell is more proven than. I, I guess. I don't know. I mean, some of these are like obviously veteran deals. Nene, one year, 2.9 million. Nene's good. Lakeston Galloway got 5 million a year. See, I think Barbosa got I think, four. I think Galloway is a good sort of read for what we're talking about. Seth Curry only got 3 million a year, though. Snell's better. He, like, he's been around mm. longer on good teams. He's played more minutes. He's. Started some games when needed. I feel he's more of a proven commodity, and whether he's actually a better player or not, his agent isn't going to let him sign a cheap deal compared to those guys. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I think you have a chance. I think if you went like four years, maybe. Who knows? I mean, some of these, it, it, it's no one knows exactly what goes on in these things except for the people there. Like, so, like Dwayne Dedman for three million a year was a little crazy. The next one, once again from Alex, what's our new, inverted commas, ideal starting lineup? I, I'm guessing we assume Middleton is out here. Yeah. And for me, it's going to be Delhi Snell, Giannis Jabari, Plumley. Yep. Yeah. Once again, from Alex, we sort of touched on this one earlier, but maybe we just to pin down which option we go with. What's our ideal second unit then? Assuming for any kind of stretch, there'll be no starters out there with them. Uh, you know, Ty and I threw some ideas out on this. Jordan, what do you like as a second unit? Hmm. Uh, maybe like Bragdon, Terry. Oh, I guess you have to go Beasley, uh, Toledovic. Uh, and uh, I don't know. 
it's Henson well, Dumbledore yeah. Thon. You I got, lost you've got to pick one. One, Jordan. Yeah. It's got to be Monroe, isn't it? Yeah. I, I guess. feel so bad for John Henson. Yeah, I, I do too. And and he's, he's better than this. He's a good player. But he's also part of the reason why I feel bad is he's not making any noise about it. Well, he's just smart. If you make noise, you're less likely to get traded generally. Because your value goes down. I think. I don't think he's gonna get traded anyway, because I think they know I think he could. they know he's just gonna I see this is that that comes up quite a lot with people. You'll see it on Twitter. Why don't they trade John Hansen? His and, value would be the highest by far among the centers. Yeah, but I, you're going to, unless they trade him for another center that they like, and they're not going to find another center as good on that deal as Young, whatever. If you're not trading him for center, Monroe hits free agency next summer. There aren't many centers on the, the free agent market, and you just, just have Miles Plumlee. Just what get mean? someone. Who cares? Okay, that's ridiculous. Why was that, what, backup center? But we don't even know that Miles Plumlee is really going to work. Well, I mean, that's – even if you have another guy, if he doesn't really work, you, you're kind of – I can't say the word I'd like to say on this podcast, but you're kind of up a certain creek without a paddle considering the money he's getting and the, the, the lack of money this team will have after the Jabari extension gets done. You, he needs to work. Something's very wrong if he's not working. Unless this new CBA comes with another amnesty, it's going to be very tough for them to be good if they cannot rely on Miles Plumlee to start. Especially if he's the only paid center on the roster. Like, when you sign a guy to 12.5 a year, he needs to be good. I I don't feel it's that vital to them if they have another good center option there. I feel that is if they end up in a spot where it's just like sign another guy whatever, they're your backup center, and there's no wiggle room on that, then I think it's a problem. I I think part of the reason they give Plumlee that contract is because they know they also have Henson on a deal. It's like, whatever, as much as it's talked about how much money is tied up there, they have the security to say, okay, we can pay the guy who fits really well that extra bit more, because even if something goes on there, we still got John Henson on a good deal for a while. I don't know. That's besides the point, really. Um, next one from Metastic. Tony, being Tony Snell, had a nine trillion and was plus nine. This was a game last year for the Bulls where Tony Snell played nine minutes and failed to record a oh, single yeah. stat in the box. Yeah, the trillion club. Literally no stats in nine minutes. Bulls fans said this summarized his career. Doesn't that make you excited? I mean, he didn't get the ball. If he got the ball, he would have shot the I mean, ball. They really plus, did, did being not plus nine with no stats in nine minutes is that's impressive. It's kind of what the Bucks need. That's just kind of what the Bucks need right now. It, you're right. That is what the Bucks need because that's. That's basically he just did what was needed of him, which was pretty close to nothing for that spot. He stood in the right spots. Yeah, so that other guys could get open or whatever. He obviously did the right things on defense. Yeah, that is exciting. 
That, there's going to be a lot of those on the Bulls this year, by the way. They got guys who will dribble the air out of the basketball. Nikola Mirotic is going to be like yeah, three for I three on threes. Nine, no, no, the other team will suck, but he'll play like 40 minutes and make all of his shots and take two shots all night. It's going to be games like that for them. Once again, from Alex, Alex underscore Kenny zero to three. Surrounding Monroe with shooters is the second lineup seems to be. How good can he be? Sixth man of the year, question mark. No, because Ennis Cantor will still be better and he won't win it either. There's an anti-big man thing with this award. I, I honestly thought MCW had a better chance at that than Monroe. Well, yeah, but I mean now. And he MCW still does. Won't, MCW, he won't win it now. He still has a better chance than Monroe. Probably. Monroe will probably start a couple games. Jason Kidd likes doing that. And that'll that'll mess that up too. Oh god, things are things are going bad. If we get Monroe as a starter again, who knows? Maybe we get some Henson as a starter. If we I'm, see I'm all, sure, I'm, I'm sure we will. Things are going bad then. I don't want to think about that yet. I mean, um, I wonder how many people did not start at least one game with the Bucks last year. Yeah, like but they, let's, not, let's, let's not let's not set last year. David Inglis, I don't think he <laughs> did. Oh, I think he did. He not start the last game of the season. That's I mean that's the thing like I mean that's the last game but still like Jason Kidd's one of those guys like Giannis will just get benched for a game and then some random guy gets a start. Um, there were three players that you didn't started start. one game. We did. Exactly. We did. The, the only players to not start were Novak, Cunningham, and Vasquez. Everyone else started at least one game. Job started four. Rashad started six. Ennis seven. Basically, the only guy is Vasquez because yeah. I mean, yeah, Novak, had, Novak had really two games. games. Cunningham lasted like four, ten four? days. I don't think he got two ten days even. No, he, he got four one, games. One ten Novak had three. So the only real rotation player was Vasquez, and I guarantee. That's surprising. If, if he was, I mean, he only played twenty three games. If he had played fifty games, he would have started one. That I find that amazing because when I think back to things we talked about and things that. <laughs> I definitely wrote before <laughs> last season. But we did talk about his fit as a starter yeah. before the injury and everything. Uh, it's funny, but it's it's still not because I actually still would stand by that. No, no, no. I, I, no, I stand by it too. I'm just laughing because it was it, – it's, it's, it's crazy that he's the guy who didn't have one. Yeah. David Eagles gets a start over Grievous Vasquez. Your 2015-16 Milwaukee Bucks season, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, how about opening night cope? Oh, God. Next one from a <laughs> Shafty, bro. Tony Snell or 2013 Middleton? Probably 2013 Middleton. I think so cur- Pistons Middleton? I think current Tony Snell is probably further along, but... Obviously, it's hard to do that when we know what Middleton becomes. I mean, even if it was just for the year, let's see. I'm right. I'm real close to this. Let's see how good. I'm guessing he means 12, 13, Chris Middleton. So that's his rookie year. Six points, two rebounds, one assist. Uh, 44 from the field, only 31% from deep, though. But he only played 27 games. Did he start any? No, he did not. He was not on the Bucks, so he did not start any games. <laughs> I mean, he might have been good if you played him more. 
I, I'd go Tony Snell if it was like one of those is being slotted in right now, but it is hard to sort of answer that question properly when we know what Middleton became. Yeah. Um, next one from at DJ Jazzy One. Is Kid the right coach for the future? If he isn't, who would you want in his place not named Pop or Stevens? A lot of guys. Bud. A lot Carlisle. of guys. Jaeger. Yeah, but but I am not a Jason Kidd fan, and I wouldn't even say right now he's not the right coach for the future because, much like the trades earlier, I think we're now at a point where last season has to be done at least until he has enough time to prove that it was or wasn't a one-off thing. No, oh, yeah, I mean, but if you give me the option to pick any but two coaches... Oh yeah, I, I know. If you if you're doing the option, I mean it's pretty endless, Danny. Yeah, Bud, Spo, Rick Carlisle. Car- those are the best three SVG. besides those two. SVG. Steve Clifford's a really good coach. Yeah. D'Antoni would be fun. I have a feeling I have a feeling Steve uh Steve is gonna be in the league for a very long time. <laughs> oh uh, I, I, I might take J V G if you wanted to get back into it. I mean, over Jason Kidd, definitely, yeah, but whatever. It's that's. I'm how in, much? I'm how giving... much would we have to pay Messina? Can we start a Kickstarter? I don't. I don't know if you can just buy Messina like that. You can try. I mean, Pop would laugh, and then he'd like. Then Becky Hammond would be the next great thing. There's some like. There's probably some fishing with John Henson stuff going down there. <laughs> You've got to do things right by Messner. He's only going to go to certain teams. So, yeah, I don't know. Let's give Kid the benefit of the doubt, though. New season, new contract. New, new year, uh, new me. So, he's, he is the coach for the future at the moment, right or wrong. So, <laughs> he's just signed a contract extension. Yeah, so let's all get behind them and see where that goes. And um, once again, from DJ Jazzy One, when should we start regretting passing on Joel Embiid? Delhi, Middleton, Yanis, Ton, Embiid? Question mark. No, I mean, it, nothing would look the same. But, it, I mean, he ha- he ha- same. yeah, but he hasn't played a regular season NBA game yet. So no, no, I'm mean, that too. But I'm saying like the you can't assume the rest of the roster looks like. That. Yeah, no, that's fair. But I really just. I, I think he's if healthy, if healthy, he's a he's like a generational center, and that was fl- that was flagged up from that draft. It was with his skill set, how sort of fully formed and just exceptionally good he was coming into the league. Health was always going to be the question; it's become a bigger question since. But he's a really special center. The Maybe. thing is, Jabari Maybe. came in as a really, really special forward as well. I haven't really changed my mind on that yet. Well, I think I mean, Jabari... this is, what's, Jabari... hilarious about, what's hilarious about this question is that you know he names off the rest of the four. Oh, man, right, I, so then, I, then I, your I, roster ha- is made up of Embiid, Henson, Plumlee, and Monroe. If we're just gonna, I want to shut you down here because Jordan Jordan was making noises when I was talking about Jabari could still be a special scorer. You don't what Jordan? No, no, no I wasn't. No, no, I was not making noise about no, that. I, just, I, just, I need oh. to find out what they were. Yeah, what were these noises? I don't. They were those, those noises, those Jordan Tresky exasperations. I, 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 it's just, 
what's done is done. I, I just don't. I don't. It's like the trades it. again. It's it's like it's a, it's a trades again. And what I mean, if he's having, who's to say he comes back? If he were to be drafted by the Bucks, would everything go the same? What if it his? I, it, it's such a whole it's the butterfly effect, Jordan. I'm still yeah, happy. Ashton Kutcher is up in my grill right now, and I, I can't give it. I'm still happy with Jabari Parker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's a he's a great fit in terms of personality as well as player for what the books have become. They could be something completely different with Embiid, but we'll never know. So, yeah, it's it it's exactly it's that. I, I don't want to name the second rounders who this conversation is ongoing about, but it's that same thing of. Well, if we picked them, they didn't. So, whatever, and that that applies to the second rounders. Although they were picked at the books position, they weren't picked by the books. Picks were traded. Next one, Alex underscore Kenny zero two three. Which books team will we see during the regular season? In relation to the Pistons game, will it be the first half team, the second half team, or this whole game? I think this whole game will be the books team, the one where you'll get very exciting and ridiculous highs, and they will also bring you crashing down to earth like I don't know what. Yeah, I mean, that's usually how it goes with this team. So I don't know why it would change. They're wearing the jersey, and that's one of the requirements that Jason Kidd asked for. So, I mean, without Middleton, especially, that was their most consistent player by far. Without him, there's just going to be there's going to be games where they look really good, and then like the next half will come around and they'll lose by a lot. And I, I mean, I hope they figure that out. But I mean, just what we've seen in the preseason, and just knowing how much of a steady presence Middleton is or was on this team. It's it's going to be tough at times, I think. Quick poll. More or less optimistic about the season than you were before the trades. So if we take it as the more. time after after Middleton got injured, before the Beasy trade happened, from that time frame to now, more or less optimistic or the same? Way more. Way more. Way same. more for Ty. You're the same, really. I, yes. I'm... I'm I don't want to say way more. I'm I'm more optimistic. They found a real wing player. They found two real wing players. I feel they can now put they can now put an actual team out there that's solid enough that if Giannis and Jabari are really good, you know what? Maybe they could scrape some sort of miraculous season that keeps them in an eight seed mix, and maybe they get lucky. Whatever. I feel that now, where only a few days ago. Having MCW might have helped scoring in the second unit, but it also might have led to Vaughn starting. And that's disgusting. Yeah, that's that was a losing team. He's still gonna play a lot though. I don't, I don't know, know if he is, Jordan. I don't know. I don't know. It's one of life's greatest mysteries. If he he's, play he's if lucky, he's playing he's like this, I think they could into a point guard. He's so lucky that happened. He would have no minutes. I said this to Jordan, though, earlier. I, I think that nearly happened as a result of how bad he was. That was a way to utilize Brogdon effectively without just having to throw him in at the deep end and be a starter. Oh, yeah, no, you, said that, you said that on the podcast, but, I mean, 
Like they could still have gotten Snell and played Snell and then just had Brogdon be the backup too, and then and and then Vaughn gets no minutes. Like we said this right away, Brogdon was just before we knew they'd play him at point, he would eat up all of Vaughn's minutes. I still believe that to be true. He might still do that. Yeah, I mean as a combo guard he still would because Jet's really a combo guard too, so they're gonna run with two combo card backcourt in the second unit. Snell just means they now have a guy who can ensure that Vaughn doesn't have to play starters minutes too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which thank I'm God for that. I like we're only one well, a few weeks removed from here discussing this. And at the time I did say who are you gonna play? Play Vaughn. I mean what it can only get better. That still applies Except I think preseason has pushed me over the edge. I know it can only get better, but I feel pretty confident it's not going to. If it does, incredible. That's going to be it's going to be such a boost to everyone. It'll be like finding a new player because what they have right now is not so good. Uh, from Ad, I like the books. Very effective handle. <laughs> What's the best lineup you've seen this preseason? Uh, the one at the start of the game tonight looked pretty good. Um, yeah. I was I was always interested to see that lineup, and it was Delianis, Teletovic, Parker, Plumley, and Plumley. Where you're trying to you're sort of scratching your head, working out well who's the two. Um, and I think there was some of that that happened. To be honest. Um, but they started really well. They opened up a big lead early on and looked very, very good. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Any other suggestions? Uh, maybe that one's good. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's been tough for me to look at individual lineups because a lot of the times, like, Orlando Johnson sneaks in or something like that. Like, I don't, I don't know if we've seen many very serious He's going to make the roster, though, Ty, remember? Hopefully, um, but he still wouldn't play. I would like, I would have liked to have seen Della Vadova, MCW, and then the rest of the starters at some point just to see how it would have worked, but we never really did. Um, the ones we, with, we never have to worry about it again, though. I, I mean, I actually wanted to see that lineup. Well, but, uh, it would have been, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, I've liked when Thon's been in there. I don't think he'll play much, and I've talked about this extensively, but I've, I've liked when he was in there because I think he brings some fun aspects to the game just because you said it couldn't get worse for Vaughn um, the most a player has ever taken field goals without making a single one in a single season was when Luther Green went 0 for 11 in 1972-73 it could be worse he could go after Luther Green's record of most attempts without a make in a single season I mean two games and he surpassed that Oh, Bebe is almost on this list. He went one for 12 last year. I mean, one is one more than Vaughn could potentially get. So That that would be the worst case scenario. That's a record you do not want to chase. Last one. Once again, from how I like the books. Is the bench going to be a positive or negative this season? I think this is a resounding positive. They didn't have a bench last year. This is a real bench that can have its own identity and can do things. 
Yeah, I mean, they, they, are we, uh, they have a bench now. It's going to be a lot better. Are we judging it from last year or as, like, in the 30 teams they're ranked oh, 15 or above? Judge it within the 30 teams because I saw you shifting uncomfortably in your chair. Uh, <clears throat> I think uh, I think they they come close to being fifteen. Yeah, they're, they're, I think they're middle of the road. Yeah, I think. But if I was to go one way or the other, I think they're middle of the road upwards. Like I could see them. So if we're on a road, it's a you're in the middle of the road, but there's a hill coming, and they're just they're just climbing that hill rather than sort of. Yeah, I I think they'll be a positive. That is it for us for our MCW. Who knows? Maybe we'll never talk about him again. As I said, maybe we'll banish him with Brandon Knight. I think I'm I'm fully prepared to banish Brandon Knight now. I'm going to have you on time out with Ty to do the Brandon Knight Only Future No Past podcast. Oh, wow. Ty and I are going to have a podcast where we just shout at each other for the whole thing, not just in segments. You said you'd like him on the Mavericks. Yeah, but, I mean, in reality, he's going to be terrible. He's going to be on the Suns. So, In memoriam to both. <sighs> moment moment of silence for... All our fallen point guards. Yes. Hey, shout out Ish Smith shining tonight. I I can't even remember if Ish Smith played well. I don't either. He played well the other day. I thought this was the moment of silence. Well, Ish Smith (laughs) killed the silence. That is it for this week's podcast. Make sure to come back next week when we will be very close to the start of the season. Read all of our work behind com. Follow us on SoundCloud. Oh, I think I've made a mess of this. It's a while since I've done it. Is it false? Yeah, false SoundCloud. Subscribe yeah. to us on iTunes. Add, yeah, us, add us on Stitcher. Stitcher. Yeah, you got it. Um, I'd also ask, I've done this before, and I don't think anyone has done it. I've checked maybe once. But if you're a regular listener... Go leave us go leave us a review on iTunes. Um if you're gonna do it, don't just do it all in in jokes, which would be quite easy to do for our podcast. Do it in a way where people, if they've never listened to us before, might understand. Have you ever seen my one review? No, I mean you probably Time Out with Ty has No, I did not. A Time Out with Ty has one review. I think it's from someone named Alexander. And this is all it says. Five stars. I like the new non-censored timeout with Ty. And wow. I was like, Alexander, we're on the same page. Wow. I mean, Alexander took the time. If Alexander listens here, um, I don't know, maybe we'll non-censor if he leaves a review. <laughs> no guarantees, but leave the review and we'll find out. Thanks very much for listening. Some of us, at least. You'll never know who. We'll be back next week. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Ty. Bye. Thank you.